Send. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> um, hi, all. Hi. Hello. Blair Speed. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you. Becky Switzer. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. It's amazing how many people mess that one up. <laughs> I know. Schweitzer? I know. <laughs> Switzer? Yeah. Yeah. Switzer, like the country. Yeah. Yeah. Switzer. Re- remaining neutral. yeah switzerland it's great yeah (laughs) i'm just adjusting me perfect for you know volume yeah turning it up yeah Yeah. Um, (laughs) actually it was a bit much i felt like but maybe not i don't i can't it's early. It is early. I know. Mark is... Uh, For you, it's early. Mark is up real early. Well, it's early. To, I'm into... <laughs> Thanks, Mark. That's not totally what I meant. Going on hour six for the day. I was saying it's a bit early to podcast. Yes, it mm. is. It being before noon. It is before noon. Trying something different. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Sometimes. I know. I told I told Becky. I was like, just come over, you know, in the evening or the afternoon after work or whatever. And she's like, I work in retail. I'm not going to come over after work to talk. <laughs> yeah. I get completely destroyed. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. You're interacting with people all day long. Yeah. Yeah. And helping them out. Yeah. And they're, um. They're mostly lovely. All the time. Every day. <laughs> I mean, it's it's. That's how it is when you're always right. The customer's always right. Yes. <laughs> Except when they're wrong. Except we had, when I worked in the North Face retail store, or one of them in Seattle, that was our, our motto was, the customer is nearly always wrong. Yes. <laughs> we had to let, have a little adverb in there. I do. Is this when you were sealing tents? That was a previous job. That was before I joined retail. I had to seam seal tents for a living to give myself enough brain damage to accept a job in retail. (laughs) Fast track. Yeah. Or just let your art be a little strange. Just huffing solvent. Exactly. I guess. I I do like to picture Mark with his Walkman, though. It's like early Walkman days, sealing tents, rocking out. Yeah. 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 Just get in there, zip it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep you the didn't fumes need a cigarette in. break. You know, yeah. you just nope. were huffing fumes. Just huffing fumes, or or um, chopping uh, fiberglass tent poles. Oh, oh! I bet that felt great yeah. on the hands. Yeah. Well, they had made a um, so early days of sectional tent poles with uh, bungee cord inside, mm-hmm. and, and the. Um, I think it was the fiberglass came from fishing pole factory or something like that, but it was it was hollow, and they had made a jig and um, and had power. So they had to make enough of them, so you had a certain you know length, depending on which tent they were going into, whether it was the front hoop, the middle hoop, the back hoop, or it was just the front hoop or the back hoop, or it was the tent that had four 
of the poles in a half tunnel design. Um, and that was like how you proved whether you were really into working for this company or not, which is called Early Winters. Um, was the, you had to go down and you put on like a full Gore-Tex outfit because they're, you know, why pay for Tyvek or, you know, something like that. Tape the cuffs down and then put this hood on and this oh respirator. Is this on your and LinkedIn? Then... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> There's one of many you... skills that I still probably have. I and then get a chop point. saw and fucking make fiberglass dust and try not to breathe it in. It's one of yes. my favorite things, all of the different <laughs> things you've done. <laughs> yeah. I... You should make a LinkedIn just for... You've got every job I've ever had. Five people noticing you on LinkedIn today. Yeah. Yeah. Satirical LinkedIn. <laughs> Do you get those emails? I don't have LinkedIn. Oh. Yeah. I Maybe I, I should. Once. Maybe that would help my business. <laughs> don't Does, do it. I know. Yeah. I mean, the most recent thing I saw on LinkedIn was how many of the profiles and photos are fake. Oh, that's wild. Why? Um, Did they say? I, I don't know why. Okay. But it's like, oh, this person, this is a computer-generated image. This doesn't, this person doesn't exist, or this image is actually taken from this real profile like, and put on a fake profile. I'm like, I don't understand. It's like one person wanted a lot of friends or connections, so they just made a thousand different fake people to follow them. Could be. That I could mean, be. that seems like the classic marketing scheme now. <laughs> yeah, I, I could, I could see that would be a reason. Yeah. Why to do it? Yeah. I mean, everything is so accurate on social media anyway. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. yeah. That's so, actually my preferred news. I am shocked that LinkedIn would not be accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Just over five minutes and we already... <laughs> we already went cynical. We already went cynical. God, that took a while. <laughs> I know. That's shocking for us. Becky walked no, in no, today. No, we no. Were, we were cynical with describing the retail customer. Oh, that's right. Right yeah, away. We there did, we go. We, we got there a we, yeah. oh, thought we were losing it there. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> It's still us. Yeah. We're back. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't. We got there really quick. Didn't yeah. fail yeah. immediately. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some interesting times at the shop recently. Always. You, you would appreciate this. Yeah. Tell me. Part of our deal is that we offer some rental gear. Yep. I'm not going to be specific because this is an ongoing issue. Yeah. yeah we'll yeah. just call it an issue. <laughs> well, much like when you rent a rental car, you are responsible for whatever happens to that item. Yeah. Maybe people should hear that word a couple more times Race just for their lives. Possible. How do you How do you spell that? Uh wait, wait. E N T I T L E D. We went to the same place. Exactly. That was awesome. So when a customer breaks something, you expect them to pay for it. It's written in the small print and, you know, customers just don't like that. And maybe they, like, cancel their credit card. Oh, so God. So you can't charge them. That's wild. Which is really too bad. That is too bad. Completely. Responsible. <laughs> yeah. E-N-T-I. <laughs> yeah. yeah. T-Led. Yeah. In tight lead. Fuck. Yeah. That. Okay. A whole new loan. Um, human behavior for me. outdoor recreation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Use something, break it. I don't have to pay for it. What? Yeah, thought I could just use it and break it. Mine. It was yours. You let me use it. 
No, no, it was too, the, the, the fine print was too fine. Too fine. Too fine. Too fine. Click through. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, who's ever read the full thing before signing or clicking? Uh, nobody. Agree. You just kind of think that it's implied that somebody should take care of something that's not theirs. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. No. That's why you never loan things. You just, somebody needs it, you just give it to them. Yeah. And never expect. Yeah. Although when <clears throat> Stacy let me borrow her photography kit, I lost one of her lens caps. That's true. You know, and I overnighted like a, a lens cap for like 60 bucks because I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. And she's like, oh, I still had that thing. I don't even use those. <laughs> you know? But that's but not still, even the point. No, no, it's certainly not the yeah. point completely. Yeah. Yeah. You were responsible in that yes, moment. Exactly. You yeah. didn't feel entitled to oh God, no. use and then lose that lens cap and no. then just pretend it was never there. Yes. Completely. Yeah. Weird. I know. It's weird. So yeah, retail's great. how how did you choose this career path yeah that's a good question it just chose me really um i was a teacher Mm -hmm. in a very non-traditional sense yep and i had this really funny job of homeschooling children that were not mine yeah and it was great while it lasted yeah because these little People were kindergarten, first grade, really easy to deal with. Awesome, cute little kids. Yeah. I could run around in the woods with them. I was going to say, well, I'm sure that you did lots of outdoor activities. Oh, my gosh. Yep. It was great. That's awesome. And this family who was here, who hired me to do this, uh, their visit to Montana ended up being rather temporary. Okay. They came from Texas. Yep. And they really loved it in Texas. So one month, they were just like, you know, we're peacing out. Uh, we are going back to Texas. We're selling everything. our multiple Montana properties. Yeah, legit. And we're going back to Houston. See ya. Oh, yeah. So How my, long did you do that for? Just for two years. Mm. Um, but it was probably one of the... That's not a just. That's a significant... Highest pain positions that yep. I will ever have oh completely because this family was able to do that that's special Plus it you was to have i mean i'm sure you had really special relationships with those kids they were they were special little kids yep yeah yeah and um so this family left i needed a job real quick like one does of course you know i've worked at walmart i hear you yep yep mm-hmm. and this was the year that a large outdoor retailer was moving into bozeman yep I remember that. Mega big box store, we'll say. Yeah, mega big box store. Yes. And I was like, hey, great. I'll use this job at mega big box outdoor store as a placeholder. Yeah. Nine years later, I was still there. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Uh, So that was the transition from using a master's degree (laughs) teaching (laughs) into outdoor retail. Yeah. And even though I have pretty strong feelings about mega big box store, it was a good introduction into that world. Yeah. Yeah. For what it was. Yeah. I'm sure you learned a ton. Yeah. Yeah. And now you work for a local store. Correct. Yep. Yep. Support your local independent retailer. Oh, FYI. Man. Yeah. So much so. 
And for folks who aren't familiar with Bozeman, we've had kind of a tumultuous outdoor retail world. I know. Very much so. I mean, Mark and I talk about Barrel Mountaineering that used to be down on Main Street, you know. Travis used to go there. And Northern Lights. Yeah, Northern Lights. And it's going to... The first time I ever came up here to do a presentation of any kind, um, I can't remember the name. It was an outdoor store. It was on Wilson. Oh, yeah, you were talking about A couple of blocks off of Maine. And if... If my memory does not betray me, um, John Campbell, who now owns a little company called Alpine uh, Luddites, yep. uh, worked there. Yeah. And was sort of respond when he was quite young and responsible for getting me there. And I remember it was like an older guy who ran it. And then, and maybe, was it, a, I don't know if it was a used gear? Was it like something? I know, because you thought when I was like, oh, I've been like just starting to go through the house. And I gave away a ton of Travis's stuff because that's what he would want. But then I still have a decent amount of things. And and then I was like, oh, shit, I mean, I can use some money, you know. So we took some of Travis's gear to second wind because nobody, not every outdoor person fits in size 14 boots and whatever size pants a 250-pound man wears. But if you're looking <clears throat> for a pair of used size 14 boots yeah go to second wind sports it'll be <laughs> yeah exactly and uh some nice scarpa f1s over there i know so i've been taking I'm some of his like... gear over there and mark and i were going into second wind sports and and he started talking about the store and i was and he was like maybe it's this one but we didn't think that no because yeah. that location is wrong yeah um was it south of maine it was... that's what you thought yeah because north is treeline side wasn't or... that Building that is on the corner of Wilson mm-hmm. and Babcock on the southeast corner that has the funny paintings on the outside. That was an outdoor shop at one point. Oh, was it? Yeah. I'm unfamiliar. Yeah. Do you remember the funny paintings on the outside of the building? Kind of uh, European I'm... style. See, now that's long that's enough good. ago that... It is the mileage. Yes. (laughs) Not the years. Yeah. It is the mileage. Oh, Um, man. I have, like, such a beautiful memory of going to... I mean, Northern Lights used to have such incredible slideshow presentations. Yeah. Which was so special in the outdoor community. I mean, I remember uh, Justin Griffin's slideshow um, there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, working at my current employer, Uphill Pursuits... Yep. We're trying to fill that niche yeah. that has been left by Northern Lights and by Barrel, yep. and also associate the community with talks and presentations and local stuff, local events, community yeah. race series. It seems from the outside, obviously, I don't work with you all, um, but it seems from the outside that that has been a really great process, and there has been a lot of um, people participating in the different talks that are happening there, the different activities that you all host. It has been. Yeah. I think good. it's been successful so far. Good. But we're only in year three, so it's... That's wild. Right. Yeah, We've weathered wild. the pandemic, so I that's got to be worth something. Be- because you guys open, like, right at pandemic time. Right at pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Be open for like, six months and then closed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 But, as with many outdoor yes. things... Yep. People flocked to buy equipment yes. oh, to yeah. go outside. Yep. Yeah. So it was actually quite beneficial. Yeah. 
Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's when bike shops were selling out of bikes and oh, yeah. people were flocking into the backcountry because all the resorts shut down. I mean, I must have bought a bike. I guess I bought a bike right before the pandemic. I must have bought it in February 2020. Hallelujah. You nabbed one. I know, wow. exactly. Yeah, I did because that's when I was down in Texas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I was having flashbacks of starting a business right before the economy collapsed. <laughs> yeah, you have you have done that. <laughs> it was going gangbusters. Is, is that on your LinkedIn account? <laughs> Ran Mountain Equipment Distribution Company into ground. Yeah. That's... <laughs> hey, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. You want to bankrupt the business? I feel like you can give me a call. <laughs> Are you done with this? <laughs> I can help you be. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that because yeah. I am in the middle of reading uh, Kitchen Confidential. I haven't An- heard of this. Anthony Bourdain. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he talks about his knack of seeing when restaurants were tanking. Oh. Like he was able to notice these trends Yeah. In, during the downfall of various restaurants that he worked at in, throughout his career. What was one of the, can you th- think of one of the trends that he saw? Um, yes. Yeah, so one of the trends when restaurants were tanking was a continual change in the menu. So they were just trying anything, anything. You know, maybe this will work. Maybe that'll work. Oh, maybe we go this direction. Fascinating. People and it, love Salisbury steak. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh maybe the God. meatloaf. Yeah. <laughs> this is when I, this is, should be on my LinkedIn. When I'm like, hey, do you want me to come in and make 12-year-old food for you? Because I'm really into like tachos and breakfast for dinner. And Beef for Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Are you ready for your restaurant? Want to be done? Call me. <laughs> Call me. Exactly. <laughs> you can you can make weak old beef stroganoff. You, I mean, I can't. Know. But <laughs> yeah, it's really so, hard to keep it exactly one week old and it, still have it on the menu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an art form. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. So yeah, maybe but, you two had that in common, just in different industries, yeah. outdoor industry. <laughs> Food industry? Food, yeah. Food service? I was unable to predict 9-11, which is pretty much what, like the first actual day of business, like us selling at a trade show, um, you know, distributing Gravel in the U.S. was January 3rd, 2002. And we had started in June of 2001 and assembled employees and amassed a certain amount of debt. Right. And so we were basically half a million in the hole, started business, and the economy just like puked on itself and yeah. passed out in the bathroom. Hmm. Party economy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Regretful. Never came back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that bi- for that particular business model yeah. was, was kind of over. Plus, it was really hard to, you know, find... You know, life satisfaction in being a middleman, yeah. where you buy something, you add no value, and then you resell it for more. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, is really tough to like, like go home at night and be like, I'm doing the world. You know, I'm making it a better place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny you bring that up because I think about that on a weekly basis. Also, how so? Especially coming from a teaching background where. 
you see your impact almost immediately. Oh, completely. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think the story I'm telling myself now, working in the retail world, is that you're enabling folks. You are. To get outside. To, right. There's this woman. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Becky, but there's this woman, and she visits Bozeman, you know, a couple times a year, and she had a profound interaction with Becky, and Becky helped outfit her. You know, she is an older woman. Her husband died, and she just started to travel on her own. and And she loves this place so much, and she wants to explore these mountains. And so I sent her to Becky to go talk about the gear that she might want or need. And they had such a profound interaction. Like you've, you have spent time with her multiple times because of that, and you've enabled, helped enable her to go on these individual solo adventures in the mountains. Here, that's I understand that not every interaction is that but that's beautiful right yeah it's just a a little bit convoluted way of thinking about it yeah Yeah. enabling folks to hopefully have a transformative experience outside yeah totally and whatever that looks like for customers or for people that's great that's for them to discover but at least you can help them get to that place yeah completely or and keep them comfortable in the outdoors right like so they're they're geared a little bit so they can handle the help, elements here. Help them not die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good work. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Few less circles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, you know, Mark, to your point, I mean, it is a, a trickier connection to make. It is. Working, yeah. working in retail and yeah. being like, what good am I doing the world right now? Yeah, completely. I mean, as a shop, you assemble and curate the types of equipment that, you know, some people that, that you, from your point of view would, you know, either you're servicing the market or you're um, an existing market or you're maybe steering it, you know, steering people in a way towards the market that you see being the better one. It's not like, oh, everybody wants X. Well, you can get that at mega big box store. We offer M or Y or whatever, something or a conversation about, oh, yeah, you know, we don't have that because they have that and we can't certainly can't compete in price um, with, you know, mega big box store. But um, but we what we can do is offer you an education Mm -hmm. about these topics or locations or whatever. And I encourage all of you to just I, I would just send everybody to the same place. In the backcountry. I have started doing that. Yeah. That's yep. perfect. Yes. Safe. Oh, yeah. How do you navigate that? Safe, low angle. It's tricky. I, yeah. It's super tricky. Because people, I bet people come to you and they want to know where to go. Where are the, mm-hmm. where are the goods? Yeah. Where, dude, where's the and powder you, right now? Yeah. That's um, a really tricky navigation. You, well, I encourage you to park at the, uh, the dam and uh, you just put those little skis on and I don't know. Start head, walking. Start, start walking. walking. Head across that lake, yeah. maybe. If you want to experience old Bozeman, <laughs> you park at the gate at the bottom. <laughs> you wave as the cars pass you with your as you ski up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's definitely a handful of well used, well loved trailheads that you can get recommended. Yep. Perfect. Multiple times a yep. week. Yep. Of course. Yeah. Yep. And they're safe places. Yeah, exactly. That 
you know, they're, if we're talking about backcountry skiing, they're low angle. Yes. And it's harder to get lost. Not impossible, but harder to get lost. Completely. Stay in the clear cut. Right. Yeah. yeah. You see those tracks? Follow them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Strength in numbers here, people. That's yeah. what you're here for. You want to pack that snow down, you know. <laughs> yeah, make it safe for everybody else. Just yeah. keep you know, maybe put some like bumpy like ski it so much yeah. that like little hills banked turns. Banked turn you know, right. yeah. become a thing. Yeah. You know, you that's Helps you slow down. They're like speed bumps. Yeah. Some people call them moguls, but it's not that. No. 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 I like to call them stab the marshmallow. Stab the marshmallow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like it. Remember, 12. Turn, turn around <laughs> yes. your pole. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I'd still go pizza french fry. That's mm-hmm. perfect. You know. Oh, yeah. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like or just pre- all pizza. Pizza all <laughs> Some day. days it's all pizza. Legit. <laughs> I have pizza out of the backcountry for sure. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, uh... Hardcore. I've taken breaks from pizza. <laughs> I've, um, what, did you, what did you call it? Buttholing? Buttholing. I have buttholed out of the backcountry after... <laughs> Proud. Breaking one of my pizza sticks. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. You can, you can get by on one for a while. Yeah. But that leg gets pretty tired. That leg gets real tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Becky, can we talk about your sport? Sure. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, you played soccer in college. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, not was, just in college. Th- many well, years leading up to college. Yes, completely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was your main sport. That for... was that was life. Soccer was life for a really, really long time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I thought, um, you know, in high school, somehow I had the foresight to be like, "Hey, soccer could pay for my college education." Yeah. Well, let's do this. That. Yep. Was this accidental foresight? Or uh, no, definitely it... intentional. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was on that wow. track. I was I... just like. Straight laced. Everybody was partying in high school. I'm like, I'm going home to study and go to sleep. This is not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> this seems, I hear you. Um, this is. This seems very Midwest. Very Midwest. Uh huh. Yes. Very Midwest. Very Type A. Yeah, I mean, you focused. Can, yeah, you continue that uh, commitment and discipline in your training still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and. You know, growing up, I wanted to do one type of career, and so I chose a college, a university on the coast. I wanted to be a marine biologist. That's right. There yep. you go. Yep. Uh, you know, swim with the whales. Yeah. Save the whales. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what every little girl wants to do. I was going to say, the 12-year-old in me sees the 12-year-old in you. <laughs> right. I love this. Yeah. I read a lot of dolphin books when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. There's more than one? I mean, in my I'm, in my memory. Uh, I, I'm... I'm I was just—I was thinking of television, not books. Sorry, oh, yeah. I Flipper, you're yeah. thinking of Flipper. Oh, I am thinking of Flipper. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Four to thirty every weekday yeah. in the afternoon. KTNT Channel Eleven. <laughs> oh my god! Awesome. That is shit. I'll go back in time and check I, it out. I, I, like, how is this in my head still? I don't know. Isn't it's there a way to though. offload? No, you like, can't. Stuff that you don't need anymore. It's just or? taking up space. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, I'm. Dude, I, I'm going to run out, aren't I? No. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> I have the same worry. I'm going to run out. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I max out hard drives, you know, all the time uh, with stupid backups that I think I need. Yeah. Mark backs up a backup, a backup of a backup of a backup. Mm, proper light. <sighs> proper light. Light. <clears throat> so, yeah, I end up in Tampa, Florida, of all places. Oh, my God. Yeah. Have we talked about that? Maybe. Because I'm from Tampa. Yes, we have talked okay. about it. Thank you. So, you university- know... No, you don't run out of room. See, I don't forget things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, university of Tampa. That's have right. Have you been on that campus? My brother went to the University of Tampa. It's beautiful. It's like stunning. Buildings with minarets, and it was in an old hotel. I forgot about this. It's beautiful. And boy, let me tell you, that soccer field was Gorgeous, because it's because uh, the track is it's in the track, yep. and the track was stunning. Ran many laps around that track. Oh my god, you and my brother were probably there at the same time. Probably, yeah. And what I really loved about it also is that it didn't have a football team, yes. and so soccer was kind of the cool thing that people went to go watch. There were night games. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. and you were goalie, right? Yeah. Yep. Got to got to be a little different to play that position. How so? Uh, be willing to be the hero or the scapegoat at any moment. Yeah. It's yeah. funny when you're, we were is... talking about soccer and you, you're, you know, talking about like, oh, I'm going home at night, you know, to study and, you know, I'm going to practice my thing. And I said, oh, that seems very Midwest. But I also have a really a, a good friend who was goalkeeper. Um, he grew up in Thousand Oaks, which is not the Midwest. It's very West. And he did like, and uh, he was that guy also. Started doing jujitsu and became super gifted at that. And then started racing his bike and, you know, he's got the talent for that. Now he's back to jujitsu. Yeah. And like two, quite well educated. He's our company attorney whenever we need something. Yeah. I'm like, hey, Jamie. I love those people. <laughs> Yeah. They're just like good at everything they, they do. But so I apologize for, you know, some geographic prejudice there, you know. Apology because... accepted. <laughs> oh, I think there's still some truth to it. Yeah. Okay. But your link with, I think as a goalkeeper, there's a certain level of perfectionism that goes yes. with your personality. Yeah. Because if you think about, especially a soccer game. Yeah. It could be zeros yeah and you are not able to make a mistake yeah because yeah. your team has to score and you have to keep the other team at zero yeah um so personality type definitely so how yeah. do you manage that perfectionism one well we can just with sport uh back especially then when currently? you have you're do, also relying on 10 other people exactly to you know not fuck like don't make it on all of me yeah like, don't get don't keep them keep them away from me god damn it i know <laughs> right i guess maybe like i guess i'm asking the evolution of your perfectionism because and i that term loosely right like we're not holding tight to it all of the time but it is i mean doing really great work is an impetus or is part of the fire to do these things uh so how has that evolution changed hmm well, I would be curious to explore how perfectionism and competitiveness work together. Yeah. Because I think that is an interesting combination that I maybe suffered a lot from I during those times. Oh, yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, in so much as there's a lot of opportunities where goalkeepers are set up for failure. Like, like you're saying, Mark, 
there's 10 other people on the field that could potentially stop a goal from happening and they don't. And then it comes down to you on your shoulders. Yeah. But it's really hard to remember that when you're in the moment. Oh, of course. Or afterwards, because you pick apart everything that went wrong on your side. That you could affect. Right. That you could change Mm -hmm. in the future. So I think as a middle school, high school, and collegiate athlete, uh, I was even, I was pretty intense. Oh, I'm sure. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, of course. And it's like, and like when we think about that, like. And that's changed so much. Uh, so yeah. so, I bet he's so you, not You can't intense. make that call because you didn't that's, know me. That then. is true. Yeah. That, <laughs> yes, that is true. Hell yeah. Well, and I think it's also difficult. The younger we are, obviously, uh, here I am for um, obvious statements. The younger we are, the less we've experienced. So the bigger these moments are in our lives. So they have like, so Friday night game is huge because we don't have these other experiences in our life. So this, I, I can very much understand and relate to how important that was in life mm-hmm. because you cared about it a lot. Right. And, and that was the main focus of, of your world then. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so how to, how to deal with that? I think you just like, like you mentioned, you just kind of grow yeah. out of it and you have yeah. a bigger life perspective. Yeah. Did you have a coach or did you have anyone that you would talk to about that kind of stuff? Oh no. Yeah, totally. I hear you. These yeah, days, legit. those days, no. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> yeah. So case in point, my freshman year at the university of Tampa, yeah. I came in and became the starting goalkeeper, Yep, which was freshman awesome. Year. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, However, one of the practices, we were like halfway through the season, things were going moderately well. Like this was a newer program, so we were still kind of establishing ourselves. And in one of the practices, we had this big old girl from Texas who was a forward. Yeah. And so uh, in one of the practices, we were scrimmaging or something, and there's a loose ball. And as a goalkeeper... If the ball is in your zone, kind of in your area, you go for that, right? So a lot of times as a goalkeeper, you go for it with your hands as the forward is coming in to strike the ball, try to score a goal. And sometimes when those two things meet, there's usually a positive outcome, but sometimes not. (laughs) And in this case... My face is terror right now. (laughs) In this case, she kind of struck the ball. My hands were at the ball. She ended up breaking my hand. Oh, God. Um, and this was devastating at the time. Oh, of course. Much for the reasons you talked about, yeah. where there's a lot riding on this. Yes. I felt like, hey, I've come in. I've won the spot. I'm really happy with how things are going. And now I've I've got this hand that has blown up to the size of a balloon. Yep. And so what do I do? I hide it. Of course you do. <laughs> that is not surprising. Oh my God. So we're this finishing. is Becky for you. Yeah. <laughs> we're finishing the practice. We're like doing like push-ups as a team. And you're just doing the one-handed version, one hand behind your back. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, if it weren't for this trainer yeah. who had the eagle eye yeah. and was like, what's going on with you? Becky. Yep. She spotted me and she's like, what, what's happening? Yeah. And so long story short, we got x-rays. Yep. Broken. I'm like, I'm still playing. Yeah. I gotta know. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I'm 
Like I, I I'm going to be in there the next game. Anything else? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I did. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we crafted fun little, you know, splints out of just doing things that athletic trainers do. Yeah. And so along the path in a quest for perfection is also a little bit of self-destruction for everyone. I mean, obviously. I know. (laughs) God, sometimes I'm like, man, the things that fuel me are the same things that eat me, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. There's a Latin phrase for that. Is there? What is it? I don't know, but I think there is. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Yeah. 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 So played the rest of the season with a broken hand. Yeah, of course you did. Which hurts a lot when you're a goalkeeper. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, And then... um, after that season, I pieced out, and I was like, you know, I I really enjoy this school, uh, but my dream was to play Division One yeah. soccer. Yep, 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 yeah. And so I transferred up to a different school in North Carolina, and uh, promptly started hating my life. Yeah, uh, how come? Uh, gosh, how much time do we have? I mean, however much time. <laughs> I love this. I mean, not that you hated your life, but uh, we're talking. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like I saw two very different size, sides of college athletics. One side mm. was supportive, uh, happy. I was happy. The team was mostly happy. And then I transferred to a different school and immediately felt out of place. And, uh, I think as a transfer, yep. you know, there's already relationships that have been established prior to you going there. Yep. The, the coach was a little bit of a, I mean, scumbag is a little harsh. I hear you. But um, he was a this little Scottish man and made a lot of promises yeah. that maybe he never really intended on keeping. Oh, I hear you. And so I went from uh, starting all the time every day for the better part of the last decade yeah. to riding the bench. And I mentally had no idea how to handle that. Oh, of no. course not. No, yeah. because <laughs> you're the person that played an entire season with a broken hand right. to do good work. Right. Yeah, no, you can't, you can't be put there. Um, yeah. So it, like, it destroyed me. Oh, of course. Yeah, mentally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it started affecting performance. And as a goalkeeper, again, that is amplified because... Yeah, you need to be fairly fucking confident. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You need to be good at your job. Yeah. I had a I had a running coach, and I struggled with a lot of parts of sport. One was I didn't realize uh, extraordinary allergies, honestly, that I had as a kid, food allergies. And so uh, I would eat everything I'm super allergic to the night before a race. And so I would train really well and then get really sick on race day and then be told it was my fault, which is cool. Uh, but... So, so, so carb loading is carb not, loading is not, not my friend. Not for everyone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. So blanket statements yeah. about how to improve athletic performance tomorrow. Yeah, are just that. Yes, that could be a warm blanket or a wet one. Oh I yeah. Guess. So I was like eating like spaghetti and garlic bread before these races because you have to like it, it was like the nineties and two thousands. Oh, yeah, right? that's what we did exactly. And. Literally, my body would fall apart. Like, I ended up having, like, I had surgery in college. I had to see a vocal therapist because I had such bad allergies um, that it had torn my insides apart. And so, but anyway, I had to do this, like, time trial every single week, and I won the time trial every single week. 
And then I was able to run districts and regionals. And then when my the coach at the time, I use the term coach loosely, uh, when the adult supervising, I use the term adult loosely. Uh, <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when he took me off, uh, he handed me the piece of paper that was like, I've taken you off of for the States, uh, meet your senior year. I just took the piece of paper and I put it in my mouth and I chewed it and swallowed it in front of him because I am that stubborn of a person. That is awesome. <laughs> That's 18 year old player for you. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I hear you on how environment and coaches, uh, have such a tremendous impact in team sport environments. Right. Yeah. 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 And you know, 19, 20 year old me didn't realize that this transfer yeah. was going to go that direction. Of course not. And from the outside coaches can be really good salesmen. They oh. can be like, yeah, we need you here. Like yeah. you're going to compete for the starting position. It's going to be great. And then you get there and it's just not great. Yeah. Um, so again, not being a quitter, I stuck out the fall season at my new Division One school and hated it. And then we did like a spring, spring training season. Yeah. And I somehow stayed around for that, even though I knew I was kind done. of at the end of the road. Yep, completely. Um, so thankful for yeah. athletics at that point in my life, but also it was a great learning experience. It's an incredible learning experience, and it sucks that it has to be painful or that people exert power because they don't have power in their own lives. And so, uh, but it is a tremendous learning experience. Right. Yeah. I remember even in, in high school after this experience, I was like, I will never put an opportunity into somebody else's hands in my life. Like I hold all my opportunity. Uh, and so even in those, even these, um, conflicts we have at young ages and especially in an environment sport that you care about so much, especially at that point or at any point in our lives, uh, they come with tremendous lessons, even though they're brutal. <laughs> and, yeah. and they may not appear to be lessons at that time. Yes, 100%. Like, or at yeah. least not useful ones yes. for the down the road might be helpful, yeah. right. let's say. Um, so when were you ready to go back to sport? Uh, in that context or just different? Just different. Like, uh, in I'm talking about how you got into climbing. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Wow. What a great segue. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank it's you. amazing. Yeah. It's like you've done this before. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, well, what's the most anti-establishment thing I can do right now? Um, that yeah. was pretty much it. <laughs> oh, my God. I, yeah. I love that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted nothing to do with playing soccer yeah, at that point. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, this school had a really fantastic outdoor program, oh, like an outdoor awesome. center, yep. you know. Yep. Um, since we were on the coast, it had like inland kayaking opportunities yeah. and the intercoastal waterway and there was backpacking. And I just visualized you doing that, but as intensely as possible, <laughs> like basically doing speed kayaking. I paddled it. Exactly. I'm going to get out of this boat. Exactly. <laughs> Damn water. Get out of my way. <laughs> get behind me. <laughs> yeah. Huh. <laughs> And, you know, we're talking early 2000s, yeah. and this university was maybe uh, on the forefront of climbing things where it had some walls put up by Entrepree. Mm -hmm. Just those uh, 
panelized like installation, really easy to put up. And that became my home. And those became my people. I went from a soccer team to like this outdoor center employee team. And it was a nice transition. Good. Um, So went to leading trips and running the little itty bitty climbing space that we had. And I organized their first ever climbing competition. And I think it's still going on at least... I, it was five years ago. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I needed some people because I had people to be with, yeah. you know, leading up to this point and I needed a substitute for like a team. Yep. Yeah. And so I found it in that outdoor center and so thankful because I'm not sure what I would have done. Oh, of course At that not. point. Yeah. Right. I, uh, I always joke that like all the black sheeps end up finding each other. You know, like all the black sheeps, like we're like all alone, like, oh, what is this world that we're in? And then like, as we get older, we're like, oh, hey there, black sheep. I see you. Yeah. What's up? Right. You want to go climb? Yeah. Or you want to go for a run? Or exactly. Or you want to hang out with me? Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that awesome. was kind of like the first major consistent climbing yeah. period in my life. Yeah. Yep. So running this little outdoor center and finishing my undergraduate because I didn't want to transfer again. Like who does that? Who keeps transferring just due to circumstances? Completely. Um, I mean, someone could, but this girl was not going to. Yeah. And what what did you say about not quitting? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And coastal North Carolina was very nice. I mean, you can drive out on the beach and do fun beachy things. And, um, we would make these epic trips. I was going to say, but if you want to go climbing, you do, you do a lot of driving. (laughs) We do drive (laughs) four or five hours to the mountains and climb and yeah. 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 So that was that period. its own thing. There was the the joke back in the, for us back in the day about climbing guidebooks. It was like, yeah, the Iowa, you know, climbers group or whatever, they put out a guidebook called The Long Drives. Oh my God, that's so good. <laughs> because they you're in Iowa, you're just like, well, there's, you're going, it's four hours to anything at minimum. They just talk about like the different stops or, that you should do on the way to climbing. Or, or that, days, yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> we're going to Yosemite. Here's all the truck stops yeah, that you need best, to know about. Exactly. Best rest areas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the sunset over here is really nice on your drive. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Waffle House at this exit. <laughs> There's a Waffle House at every exit. Yeah, <laughs> you get far east enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what brought you to Montana? Oh, so good question. Um, after that undergraduate experience, yep. you know, you just kind of float after that. You're not quite sure what direction you want to go and... So I made my way to Jackson, as in Jackson Hole, yep. and spent a little bit of time there. But you quickly realize that that life is not sustainable if you don't have a trust fund oh, or have exactly. won the lottery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was a little short-lived so stint. So you didn't fit in there? That's, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you find other yeah. service workers to yes. fit in with. Yeah. And uh, it, it was really kind of fun for the short-term Good. I got some graduate credits yeah. down there yep. and, uh, you know, worked as a valet during the night oh, so you could you. drive fun cars and oh my God. I think we were at like one of Dick Cheney's parties. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Driving cars. <laughs> 
So armored vehicles. <laughs> Secret Service doesn't like chatting. Yeah. No, they around. don't. No. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Not. This is okay. I'm throwing down my ping pong card, my one ping pong card. So this is my ping pong card. One time I was in Texas. I was party Blair. So I was partying. And the Bush daughters were out because one of them was getting married. I don't remember their names. But they were having their like bachelorette at this bar. And I happened to be there with my girlfriend, Shelba Welba Ding Dongs. <laughs> and Kim. And I'm like, oh my God, it's the Bush daughters bachelorette. And so we tried to convince the Secret Service to leapfrog with us because that was our dance move at the time. So we're leapfrogging across the dance floor and Shelby's like, come on, Secret Service. And then to not throw anybody under the bus, I won't use anybody's names, but somebody's leapfrogging and they trip in front of the Secret Service and they don't have any skivvies on. And so my friend flashed. Uh, their Bush to the Bush sisters uh, secret service and the secret service weren't, I mean, they didn't seem, they didn't leapfrog with us. So this is my one ping pong card. Uh, I mean, of experience. You, you've, you know how that ends when federal law enforcement decides to start break dancing while carrying their service weapon. Mm. You make the fucking internet. Oh yeah. Yes. I mean, this was so early and like, Internet time. I know, yeah. but that's probably why they thought better of it. They're oh, like, yeah, completely. Yeah, we're I mean, presidential. They're... <laughs> they're more, I don't know, FBI. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's who that happens to. I mean, at the t I understand that now. But at the time, I really thought my party skills could have gotten them on the dance floor. I, I mean, they could have if they were FBI. Yeah. You know, your yeah. skills might have been good enough because... That guy became a overnight sensation. I don't know this. I know. It, yeah. I, I, apparently not. So yeah. FBI guy decides he's at a party. He's out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this is accurate. Yeah. Let's just make it <laughs> up. Of course. It's, and if it's not, yeah. you know, fuck Here's it. a great story. Yeah, here's a great yeah. story. So decides to start breakdancing, loses a surface weapon, goes to, you know, oh, falls out of the holster. No. Goes to pick it up, accidentally discharges. Oh, God. You know, the weapon in a public place or party or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so Poor moves. overnight sensation. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, viral even, yeah. maybe. <laughs> viral. That'll get you I don't right know. up there. So yeah. I didn't get the Secret Service to party. The mm -hmm. daughter just party. They didn't mm -hmm. leapfrog with us. Apparently mm -hmm. nobody was really into it. Damn, They're lost. you just need a different dance move at the time. You know, I don't know. I mean, we rocked it. We had a great time. And in our mm -hmm. minds, we all became friends that night. They probably disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Amazing. Uh, okay, uh, so, I retract my ping pong. Yeah, Continue. I was going to say, so ping pong back. Yeah, ping pong can, back. Get... <laughs> Becky's got so, us. Didn't have any of those experiences with Strange. Secret Service, unfortunately. Weird, weird. Yeah. yeah. Thought yeah. that was most people's interactions with the Secret Service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a knock on the door right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ma'am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'd like to arrest you for indecent exposure. <laughs> 20 years ago. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. So now we can put a name to the somebody. No, we can't. Oh. <laughs> <Shh>. <laughs> <laughs> you 
know you I held, love your you life held it together for about three minutes. My life is ridiculous. <laughs> it's <man>. great. <laughs> okay, mm. Secret Service. So yeah, back on. I mean, I mean, Jackson's a tough place to be. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. And it has only gotten more difficult, and so uh, pieced out of there. Yeah. And needed a place to live, and visited Bozeman, and was like, "This is it." And mm. uh, were we talking earlier about how? People now move here and want to bring their own changes. Was that us? Yes, I'm okay. sure that was us. Um, I've never heard that. Yeah, about any cool place. Maybe that was in your that was in your podcast with Mish. That's part of it. Yeah, yeah but bringing people coming here and bringing their own changes they would like to see take place in Bozeman or the Valley. Yeah, and it's. I remember listening to that comment and thinking how opposite that was for me. I hear you. Yes. Because I came here and was like, oh, we fit together. Yes. Oh, I, I, yes, of course. That's part of that generation of people that came. I mean, I, I remember when I flew in here feeling like my sinews had finally found a connection to land. Right. And then pausing and listening for a very, I mean, years to the people that were here. Um, and that's exactly that conversation was and instead of pushing forward and presenting self into a space, uh, pausing and waiting and letting space change you or impact you or learn from. Yeah. I hear you very much on that. Right. Yeah. Instead of wanting things to be different, you finally feel that you have found a place where you fit in I love or that. that feels like home. Which is like, it's such a a crazy fucking thing to think about is like I really like this place I want to change it yeah because or, or yeah. Uh, uh, like I'm attracted to this really cool place and then you get there and then you want to make it something different than than like take the cool away so that it can be more like where you just, just fucking left you asshole right I, I don't know I mean exactly. I've been that guy so I get to how are you that shit. guy where were you, that guy? Well, I went to a place and decided that the locals were too complacent, so I took their stuff. I don't understand. I don't know. Of the five new routes I did in the Alps, three of them you could see sitting from you know sitting at the bar in town. There's oh. a reason for that. Yeah. It's like yeah, fuck. I took advantage. I didn't try to change it. No. I just took advantage of... I hear that. I, which, I mean, it's, it's, it's still arrogant human behavior. Yeah, I hear you. Which is what we're essentially talking about here. Yeah. It's like you go to the cool place, but then you want to bring your yeah. politics, your ideas about what it should be like. Like, no, I, w- I, I want to move to the really small town, but I also want to eat in nice restaurants. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Or have a heated driveway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or. Yeah. The you know. people who move here, they're like, the only good restaurant here is blank. And I'm like, yeah, you, you, yeah, you, this is your second. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever you think. Yeah. <laughs> and thank God we were having a, <clears throat> a late breakfast the other day. We were having at, a fabulous late breakfast. At a really wonderful place in After town. After we saw Becky. That I hope never Me changes. Too. I just thought we, we, we went Nate at the Western, mm-hmm. which is just like... Surprising no one. Oh, I know. Exactly. Yeah. It's so good. And uh, it was after we were at the climbing gym. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we went to the climbing gym. We went to the Western and we got to sit at the bar, the counter, uh, which is my favorite place to sit there. 
And I was like, we need to like be in here as much as possible. <laughs> you know, I hope this place lasts a very long time. Uh, but we should be in here while we can. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to go into a place where, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, let's just say Western memorabilia. Yeah. And that's legit. And, that's not like, yeah, not like the fake stuff. Like not from it, Pier One. Not from, yes. Thank you for finding the words for me. Pier yes, One Western. Exactly. That's amazing. Not it's from, not like the kitschy thing. Crate and Barrel. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. And but there's also so there's that memorabilia, but then there's also um, a celebration of you know place of of place and and local alternative yes. memorabilia yes. where you're not going to go into every place in every, you know where there's you know, Alex's one of Alex Lowe's ice tools is going to be hanging on the wall yeah. or one of Jack Tackle's ice tools is going to be hanging on the wall yep. you know with with the, the sort of stories about them yeah. that you know that, like if you don't know when you walk in you're like oh what's that thing and yeah. you're like well it, you should know the story yeah. mm-hmm. if you're going to be in the place yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so that's 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 one of the restaurants or locations that um, that I hope doesn't ever change I know. here. Doesn't go away or doesn't get so expensive to pay the fucking taxes on it that you have to move. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Bozeman. So Bozeman. Mm-hmm. So you felt it when you arrived. And Immediately. Then, yeah. 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 And this was 2005. So yep. it was a good 16 years ago. Yeah. And a lot has happened since then. Yep. Uh, with growth and with building and with changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I felt it when I got here. Yeah. More so even than living in the Midwest. Yeah. You know, and it's funny how that can be a thing you would think you're you find your home later in life right that the place you were born in your brain maybe should be should feel like home but then it turns out that it doesn't oh completely Mm -hmm. i was born in florida right people find they're like you weren't born in montana i was like no i was born in florida they were like what i was like i know i don't tell people except for on podcasts to everyone (laughs) 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 the three people who listen Uh, we're up to five, I think. Yeah, yeah, three, five, seven, <laughs> something. Yeah, eleven, maybe. Monday. Maybe eleven. Ooh. 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 I like this. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, I never liked Florida, uh, and I lived there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to get a question every now and then, and people would be, you know, when it was not cool to live in Salt Lake. <laughs> that was you know, a thing. It, it was, was not yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm, you know, because. Because you can't drink in Salt Lake, because oh, okay, alcohol yeah. laws, because yep. dominant religion, because I you know whatever, that all that shit. I'm just like, you guys keep fucking telling those stories yeah, outside right. outside of here. Keep and and then enough people realize that. But anyway, I would get asked, they're like, why do you fucking live in Utah, man? I'm like, because I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, you dumb fuck. <laughs> 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 I'm like, when the when the only place moss doesn't grow is where you consistently walk or drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, an issue, especially yeah. for a climber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I always ended up in service jobs, either, you know, retail or restaurant where I could, um, you know, get out when like yeah. have days off yep. when the weather got good Yep. or accidentally have days off, you know, where I'm like, I work three nights a week and or four nights a week in this restaurant, which if you work a, 
a, a shift from 10 at night till five in the morning, then that last day of work isn't really like a day of work. Yeah. So I would have, yeah, I work four days, but I also have four days off. As weird as that sounds. Yeah. Because, yeah, I could just, you know, finish that shift at five in the morning on that day. And if the weather's good, I would just use that day to drive wherever I needed to go because it's the Cascades. You don't have to drive as far yeah. as if you're from Iowa or some other Midwest place or or in the Carolinas. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you had to have, you know, jobs that allowed you to, you know, deal with the the specific climatic conditions, which... Are, try to defy climbing yeah. mm-hmm. in, in the Northwest. But um, there was a period of time where, yeah, Utah was a really, really good place. I believe that. Probably up to like and a decade ago, you think? I think up till, I, I think it's even more recent than that. Okay. I think it was pretty, it, it, I, I mean, there was a, the, the period of time in the early 90s when um, climbers had figured it out. Like that it was cheap and that you could actually garden the choss. And I mean, and that's all, it, it really, really took off, I think, as a, as a, a place that climbers figured out. It's like um, uh, in 1990 or I think it was 1990 when Black Diamond moved there, became Black Diamond and moved there. And then a lot of really good climbers, you know, came to work there mm-hmm. and recognized like, holy shit. Because mm-hmm. you could buy a house for nothing. Yeah, I mean, I would. Th- there'd be a question to be like, I didn't have money to buy property at that time. Yeah, you know, the, there, and I was only. I would only visit. Um, but yeah, some people, you know, bought houses, sat on them for even three years. You know, five, four or five years. Um, even even then, it was like, oh yeah, you'll double your money. It's not any amount of money that anybody would consider even a fucking down payment on a home in Salt Lake now yeah. that you would be doubling. But, right. you know, maybe you maybe you paid 40 and, you know, you sold it for 80,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I have a friend now who's listing his house in Salt Lake that they bought, I think, in 2016 or 2017. And it it has more than doubled. Yeah. And to a stupid, like the decimal point move. And I'm like, and maybe I could, maybe when I say that it, it was not as long as a decade ago, maybe I th- I'd say it's even more recent that it got real bad. Um, but maybe I just didn't want to see it back then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, like every place, I mean, and we were talking about, you know, like the other, like go, going through stuff in the house or whatever. And I'm like, ah, oh, these old t-shirts, do you keep stuff? You know, it's really hard to just throw stuff away. And there is a T-shirt that I had when I was probably 15 or 16 living in Seattle. And there was already a, you know, awareness at that time that people were moving there from other places and changing it and changing it politically in a sense. And so the T-shirt read, don't Californicate Washington. And now I know that there are the, you know, there's a there is that T-shirt for every fucking state in the union, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Except maybe not for, Iowa. Yeah. Maybe. I hear Iowa's great. Yeah. I hear Iowa is really the next best great. thing. Davenport. Mm. Booming. Ames. Booming. Ooh, I don't know Ames. Mm-hmm. I just know a truck stop in Davenport. Or I just something. know that there's a state. <laughs> yeah. <Iowa>. Yeah. <laughs> there's probably not a "Don't Californicate California" T-shirt <laughs> yeah. either. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. 
But that's a T-shirt I wish I had held on to. And it, because it did, it, whatever that represents, it, it has, it's just happening in an accelerated fashion. Yeah. And if you... Well, everything accelerating, really. I mean, yeah. human growth is accelerating to such a... So therefore human behavior. So human behavior, yeah. we see more and more and more because there's more of us. So, yeah. and we have greater impact on, on one another and space and mm. this world. Yeah. So are we blaming this all on social media? I mean, no, okay. not I all. I don't, I don't think so. We but can just say media say, in general. Yes, I agree with media. And I would say the part of the particular equation of what has happened here, one, you have people who profited off of the image of this place through social media. So they go and they do their um, hikes or yoga poses or whatever on this land, and then they geotag it and they put it out into the world. That is part of the equation. It um, used to be hard. It, it, and we could say, you know, social media or media, because it did, it was in the past more difficult to find you know you accidentally find the cool spot yeah right and that was you such know, a powerful experience to more, accidentally find a stunning spot yeah mm -hmm. or it's word of mouth in yep. some way or, or it's looking at a map you know and and that research behind it would be exhilarating honestly uh i think that social media is a part of what happened here um and and then you know and then one professional athlete with, you know, 200,000 followers moves here and starts tagging every single trailhead mm -hmm. uh, or location. And, it, and it, it's just that many more eyes on a place. Mm -hmm. uh, I do believe that that is part of what happened here. And I think the other part is most recently is the fact that people can work from anywhere now. Mm -hmm. And so what was binding them into city life is no longer binding them in the same ways. Uh, and then, and then you can have more people live in different places. Uh, and Montana is, is feeling that in an extraordinary way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So back in 2005, I felt like I was finding a gem. Yes, of course. Because it, social media wasn't as big. Yes. And it still and so seemed this, like Montana was this like faraway state that nobody really talked about. A hundred percent. And it was still a very small town here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So small towns are, you know, at, at, to a particular type of individual, a small town that remains a small town is pretty darn attractive. Oh, incredibly mm -hmm. so. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. And so when you got out here, how'd you find your tribe? Well, at that point in my life, I was working probably seven different jobs. Yeah. You know, right. as yeah. I hadn't gotten my... Next to cobble degree. it together. Cobble it together. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, my plan was to finish this master's degree in teaching. Yep. And but in the meantime, it was make money during the winter at this job, and you know, hold these three jobs in the summer. Yeah. And do a contract position over here in these random couple of weeks that you have free. And that existence is fun for a little while yeah. until tax time when you have like you're looking at your seven jobs and you're thinking what am I doing like this is crazy yeah um so got this degree in science education which it is what it is yeah. like I've got an advanced degree and then I may or may not be using it 
yeah. currently, but it, that's irrelevant at this point. Um, it's we it's, can look at advanced degrees as like um, a career path, and we can also look at it as knowledge, right? Yeah, or how yeah. to exist in academia, yeah. or how to make things happen. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, and then as we were uh, talking about earlier, this family reached out. Yep. And said, hey, can you homeschool my kids? Yeah. And I thought it was kind of weird, but I went for it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these little people were kindergarten, first grade. I love that. Yeah. Um, this family had purchased a lot of land and gave me a space to set up a little classroom and just run wild with uh, these children. That's awesome. And explore the river and... Uh, you know, a lot of grassland area, and um, I was able to provide them a alternative type of education Completely. for a couple of years. Completely. Which was great. Yeah. 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 Uh, when I taught, I always joke that I, like, learned more than I could have ever taught my students. Yeah. What's something that you learned then? Um, I learned that traditional classroom settings aren't the best answer for kids. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I kind of had that inkling and I, I knew, but seeing it in practice was a totally different thing. I bet. Um, and also I think in traditional classroom settings, there's a lot of wasted time. Oh, so much. We, (laughs) these two little guys could blow through material like very quickly. Yeah. Um, when you don't have distractions or other kids or, uh, you know, recess or this or that, when you just sit down and focus for a short period of time and then you go outside and uh, practice what you just talked about yeah. in a, in like an applicable setting, yeah, um, you can move through a lot of material really oh, quickly. I believe that. And you, yeah. you don't need to have your, yeah, from eight until 3.30 or whatever that state-sponsored daycare is, yeah. right? Um, yeah. you know, in any given era. Uh, I, I think it's true. And we were, we were talking about like classroom size. Yeah, we were, um, just the other day. And I was like, man, I feel like it's been around, you know, 25 to 30 for kind of a a while or that, that's what I remember it as. Apparently there's still a number like, like that, that an individual can handle except on a, you know, in a, let's just say a general topic sort of thing at, in college when I, I would just be like, Wait, there's 200 people in an auditorium and we're meant to learn? And then, Blair, you had some like actual, you know, positive things to say about that yeah, that and, I have never experienced. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like when I, I taught sixth grade, uh, sixth grade reading, and I really enjoyed it. And it, and also it destroyed me every single day because of the, the, the energy ask every single day. Mm-hmm. And also I feel for everybody in the, the whole system, uh, Teachers are expected to cater to 30 different learning styles and 30 different individuals at every moment. Kids are asked to sit at their desk and and, fall, and, and we don't teach inquisitiveness or curiosity or questions. We, we ask them to follow a system that's in place and, and to follow rules and not listen to their own heart or teach them the importance of that. And to be able on it, like to teach on an individual level, yeah. you know, in a way and to yeah. a, a, adapt to that heart, that inquisitiveness, that... Um, you know, well, the, let's just say that time is a thing, but will not be so bound by it. Right. Yeah. 
And and we don't pay teachers anything, you know, like they are forgotten about in a lot of ways and, and they don't have a, a support system in place to manage everything they're asked to manage every single day. And 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 then they have to follow these curriculums or these standardized tests and, and really what are we asking teachers to do with students? Are we asking them to help um help these students understand the big picture of life are we asking them to know how to fill out an a b or c question you know uh and then i feel for the parents that don't have any other options because they both have to work to afford children and then they have to send their kids to to public school anyway all around i feel a lot of things in this situation (laughs) (laughs) and uh but when mark and i were talking about this uh, we ended up talking about, you know, he was talking about how like some colleges, like you sit in an auditorium and for my personality type, I actually really enjoyed that because then I could be invisible and I could just listen and absorb. And that's, and that's one of my favorite ways of learning is just listening to others and, and getting to absorb it in that way. Also, we talked about, it was like me practicing bravery as well in these like little situations. One, I just loved history. And so I ended up being a history major. But I I told the story to Mark. I was like, yeah, I just, I can't even remember the question now. But a professor asked, you know, 300 students a question and nobody raised their hands. And I was like, oh, damn it. Like, I'm not letting us all fall. Like somebody answered this question. And then I was finally like, shit. All right. And all of a sudden I like slowly raise my arm, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. And it, and that is like a beginning of practicing being brave to speak in front of other people. You oh, know, hundred percent. And and that was honestly like, that was a overwhelming feeling for me between, I don't know, ages 18 to 21. I don't know how old I was then or 17. I started college and then I was 17. Um, and that was a wonderful practice. And, and so I really enjoyed the auditorium classes. And, and as you move further up in your degree, classes get smaller. Um, and so I would, I would start in these auditorium classes with these professors. I would love the classes. And so I just keep taking their higher level classes uh, and then the classes would get smaller. Yeah. Yeah. With these, the young, I mean, obviously, you know, our our teachers can have an incredible impact on us at a, you know, at a, at a certain age. And we, and we do remember some of them. Oh yeah. Tremendously. So Um, some, I, I don't remember at all. Some I hold so close to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I just imagine that what, however much time you were able to spend with these kids, they're forever changed because of it. Yeah. Do you keep in touch with them at all? I don't. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. I would like to hope so. I, would, <laughs> I mean, you, you can't know, right? Yeah. but you and also, you, you're just like, mm, if, if you know anything about human nature, you're like, man, that was, those were, that, those were very powerful experiences that cannot be overwritten by, you know, whatever, um, they, and I'll just say system, they got educational system. They, they may have gotten plugged back into when they moved, moved away. And the, moved correct. Away. Yeah. And yeah. the kids might not know how to contact you, honestly. I mean, I remember like searching, trying to find my second and third grade teacher from Kentucky, Miss Wright. Uh, but my school became a flea market, <laughs> honestly, rural nice. Kentucky for you. And the only thing I had was uh, my yearbooks. And, but they only have her first initial. So I remember like Google searching for Miss Wright, who, who is my second and third grade teacher in rural Kentucky, because she just had such a profound impact on my life, even at that point. 
Uh, but I can never find her to reach out to thank her. You know, I don't, I don't know what her first name is. And, and my school literally was a, became a flea market. And now I think it's just completely closed. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we ping ponged a little bit there. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a really interesting time in my life. And, uh, and that was a point where you had just one job. Not... Thankfully, it was just one job at that point. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. It was transitioned into adult life, maybe. And did you continue to climb throughout that? So, yeah, the climbing thing was interesting because, you know, I'd, after this college soccer experience, yep. um, definitely had an on-again, off-again relationship with climbing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, until roughly 2000. 11 or 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, you know, the shit hit the fan. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about this particular shit hitting the fan. You know, um, so moved to Bozeman. Everything's great. Yep. Life is good. I've yeah. got either multiple jobs or one job, depending on the year. I wish that you could see my imagery that goes through my brain when you're telling these things. Like, I'm just going to take us back to the soccer field in college when you were talking about this woman who came and kicked. Right. And you're like, she's from Texas. I pictured it as Dolly Parton running up to you and kicking the soccer ball and your hand at the same time. And right now, as you're talking about how everything's great in Bozeman, I just see you like sound of music, Becky with like flowers in her hands, Absolutely. twirling in the mountains. Like this is the like, imagery <laughs> going through my mind right now. I've found my place. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. 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 And I started going to our local climbing gym. Perfect. Spire yep. Climbing Center. Yay. And that's probably right around the time I met Trav. Of course. Um, but again, it was just kind of like a touch and go relationship with climbing. Yeah. would just visit, you know, do, do the thing, fit it in when I would have time. Yes, completely. Um, strangely enough, I met a guy yeah. at the climbing gym. Yeah. Not and so we, uh, ended up a couple of years later getting married. Yep. Um, and things were good for yeah. a little while yeah. as, as new shiny things tend to be. Completely. And, uh, long story short turned not so good. Yep. You completely. know, after a couple of years. Yep. And, uh, that is when climbing really, you know, if you want to say save, that feels kind of like cliche and lame. Uh, but a lot of lame. people say, oh, climbing saved me. So so I'm not going to say that. Yep. But it became an integral part in my existence. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and Becky, Becky, Mark and I were talking and I, and I told her, I was like, I was like, I don't know if I've ever said this to you. I was like. But I just like have this distinct memory of like Travis and I at the climbing gym and me just like watching Becky climb and she's like lead climbing on some route. And I'm like, God, she's so incredible. And to watch Becky climb is just like, it's stunning. It is really stunning. And, uh, and Travis is like, yeah, I know. I knew Becky for a while and then she got divorced and then she just became the best climber in the state. You know, she just like (laughs) fucking ramped it up, full sended it hard. Uh, and, and so I didn't know the full story and I didn't know you well enough. Uh, and it was just a different time. So I wasn't as inquisitive to ask. Uh, but I do remember this, like being a powerful experience and try being like, yeah. And then, and, and look at what she does now. 
Right. Yeah. And I think maybe there's parts of this story that you can relate to. Yeah. When you go through emer- emotional or mental turmoil. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, when a relationship is ending, especially when, you know, you get married, you think that's going to be it. Like, yeah. that's the thing that that's... that is going to last you for the rest of your life. Yes. Um, and so it's fun to be young and naive and think that that, <laughs> that is going to be uh, a true statement for everybody. Yes. And um, I agree. I, I, I don't have experience with separation. Mm-hmm. I have experience with, with death, which isn't the ending of a relationship, but I don't have experience with a separation. But also what I have, except for my parents, but what I very much hold close in my heart is that a separation isn't the failing of a relationship if it is the best thing for the two people involved that 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 you had this experience and you learned with each other and if the and if it isn't what is best to continue to walk together then then ending it isn't failure it's it's growth in a different way and and we're not that isn't necessarily spoken about when we're younger um and, and it's also really hard to see that way when you're in the thick of it. I'm sure. I mean, you can speak about it now, and I completely agree with yep. you now. Yep. However, yep. Uh, let's say 2012, 2013, like, you're living in a fog. I'm sure. You know, I mean, this fogginess in life is not specific to a relationship going downhill. It can have to do with death or... Yep. Uh, of a loved one or a family member or losing a job or or you know your house burns down or anything when massive life when massive life hits you hard uh your brain is trying to deal with a universe that's been flip-flopped upside down right uh and and of course that fogginess and it's at that time it's really and i'll just say nice yeah to have um an anchor that is like an all-consuming physical and psychological activity. Mm-hmm. That, like you, oh, the cool thing about this is that there is some consequence to my actions. And so I, when I'm doing the thing, I need to be really present. Yeah. I can't half-ass it yep. unless I don't want to get anywhere yep. or I want to get hurt, which neither of those things, you know, seem consistent. Um, but to, to be involved in, something that like renders everything else at least for the moment yeah separate apart trivial maybe and then it'll all come crashing back is you know once you lower off but or but you had that moment that gift of presence where it you you have to be the thing that you are doing yeah and then that means that you're not being the things that you're not doing. Yeah. Right. Which sometimes in the those idle periods seem, you know, bigger than they need to be. And I don't think I could have described it any better than you did. Yeah. And so for, you know, a period of multiple years, because again, my ability to not give up. Yeah. You see your relationship going downhill. Yeah. And you're just like from the Midwest. You're like, no, 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 I'm no, gonna no, st- no. I'm going to yeah. stick this out. Yep. I'm going to 
somehow make this work, even though I have no idea how I'm going to make this I'm work. I'm going to tolerate some shit. I'm going to tolerate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to hang in there. And you can hang in there for years, turns out. I bet. Yeah. Uh, and not really get anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so I did. I hung in there for years. Yeah. And like Mark was talking about, climbing in that sense is a huge reprieve because you have all of this mental baggage. You have uh, self-talk. You have scenarios playing through your head. Oh, I'm sure. But when you start climbing, you have to be present yeah. and you cannot think about anything else. And it's quite unlike a lot of other sports. I, I imagine when you're, I have run, yeah. I, I am capable of running, yep. but you can also think about things as oh. you're running. Oh yeah. Um, it, and work through a lot of different scenarios. So I don't think we can compare, you know, climbing to running in this context. No, I agree. Uh, similarly. No, I completely agree with that. Um, the consequence free anything is kind of bullshit. What do you mean? Anything that we undertake where there is no negative potential, you know, potential negative outcome for not doing it well, for not doing it completely, for not being fully present, um, I, I think it's a waste of time. I'm not saying that that's, you know, I'm, I won't call out any particular sport, okay. but we could say sports ball. Oh, now I hear you. <laughs> you know, let's just say, and, and I mean, there was something I, one of my early articles about soloing was, you know, had, you know, used basketball yeah. as because somebody had just recently at the buzzer missed, you know, game seven world championship if the world was playing, but it was only, you know, U.S. teams. So it's not really a world championship. Um but it's game seven, but at the buzzer, has the opportunity to change the outcome, fails. For sure. Okay, he's a, he's a f fucking, you know, worthless dog in the media for like a week. Oh, yeah. Be yeah. Big Be deal. Still got paid. Mm -hmm. Didn't get taken out back and shot. You know, or whatever. Like, so I, I would say, yes, there, there is consequence and we can make social and financial consequence feel just as real as the mortal or other physical injury type consequence. Um, but it's still, it's not that it, I just at that, at that time. And I, you know, I'm a bit more forgiving these days because a, my, you know, mileage, whatever. And I appreciate other human experiences more than I did then. Yeah. But at least at that, at that point, I was just like, a, a, this is all I want to do is, you know, let's just say train with a live blade. Yeah. Like, and, the and, and because it was the only thing that I found that I couldn't, that, that gave me no wiggle room Yeah, where I was a clever little fucker <laughs> and I could get, you know, I could, you know, find my way in the side door. I could climb through a back one, you know, whatever the metaphor is going to be. But this one thing was the thing that demanded all of me. And that's all I wanted to do. I mean, I was like, this is how, this is how I, I change me. Oh. This is how I reshape me. This is how I gain perspective of some kind. And so that's what I mean. But if there's a consequence free and, um, and it is, and it is true. There's certain, 
you know, things. If I, when I ride my bike, yep. it's not the same. Oh yeah. When I run, it's not the the same. But that's also me. Oh, and and my relationship to those, you know, activities. Well, a couple of things. I think that's beautiful. One, I feel for people that are raised in households that are taught to believe that sports ball super matters. And I feel for those people because they're exploited as athletes for a lot of their life and as soul pods. Two, I think that's like one of the most beautiful things about your personality um, is this this flashlight, hyper-focus, um, commitment and discipline, and also this meticulousness. It's really incredible to get to witness in different ways. And even Michael on a podcast recently was talking about like, yeah, but Blair, you didn't see like when Mark would measure out, you know, the grains of, I don't know what this is, right? So yeah. this will shine through. The, I'm going to say the grains of the, sand the, because the, I don't the, have a way of saying for, for well, doing your own ammo. Yeah, for, right? for so, reloading. You would the keep, grains of uh, explosive powder. Okay, cool. Let's say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how you would keep like... Um, uh, notebooks of of this of this data, which I can see applied to so many different facets of your life, and I love that. And I agree. Like climbing is so special because of the consequences, right? I am intimately uh, connected to those consequences. <laughs> Turns out. Turns out. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'll say. And I agree that that there is something so beautiful about climbing because it gives you the gift of presence. Uh, it gives you the gift of like the only thing that you have is yourself right in that moment. And maybe there's a partner in your breath and, and everything else fades away. The thing that I will add is the gift for me. And as we talk about individual personalities and running, sometimes it isn't a gift, but it is in the fact that my mind can turn while I run. Right. So like I've been on runs and I have like screamed at the sky at Travis for leaving me and me having to deal with all this shit. So my mind, like, like you left me here and I have to deal with all of this that has come through on my runs probably needed to cool. Thanks running. That was also hard. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but one of the things I have found running in Montana is the gift of space. And the gift of space has given me the, to, like, the ability to hold contradictions much more than just holding them within me. So I could hold all of these thoughts and feelings because running out in this space gave me more space. I wasn't tripping over myself internally or tripping over these thoughts or tripping over these, these, all of these things that were turning inside of me because I was out on a run with all this great space around me. And it's like my soul could expand in this space and hold these contradictions. So the wheels weren't not turning and I wasn't just present in what I was seeing. I was definitely turning things within my life. But that was a gift in its own way. And I think that that is a, a particular difference between running and climbing. Climbing gives you the gift of presence and being there with within yourself and within your space. Mark and I talked about the difference of climbing in the gym and, and climbing outside. And I'm like, well, when you're climbing in the gym, you're not climbing on another soul, right? Like when you're climbing in the mountains, you're climbing on another soul. Like mm-hmm. you're connected to that land. Plastic and, has soul. Plastic. <laughs> plastic. <laughs> I mean, I'm just impressed that Mark hasn't been pulling on the holds to check them in the, in the gym. You know? <laughs> That's so 10 years ago. I know completely. Um, well, yeah, I think yeah. with your running, you're just, uh, you have the, ability to explore that space and yes. to develop your thoughts. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I'll not realize how confused I am. Right. It's <laughs> probably a life condition. Uh, I won't realize how confused I am. And then I'll go for a run and all of these things will turn that I didn't realize were turning. And I'll be like, Oh, 
Shit. Yep. Yeah. But then you give it the time and space to work out. Yes. Work itself out sometimes. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. Right. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so climbing can be kind of a refuge, you know, from big time certain mm, nice word there. other <laughs> aspects. It's just right here on the spine of this book. It's weird. <laughs> um, it, uh, but it can be a, a way to escape, you know, in a sense, or, but also, all right, well, I get to look back, look, I like looking down for some reason. Yeah. Um, uh, and observe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And give you talk about expansive space or you you allow your mind to expand. And there is that, that, um, okay. I put myself in a particular, you know, psychological condition. Yeah. Um, and then there is that moment, you know, when the, the gift of presence is not being enforced. Yep. Like where I do get to like, Oh, I'm off. Yeah. And now I'm here. And you've just transitioned into like a different life experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and whether that gives you the, I mean, the number of guys, friends of mine that went soloing that like, I just needed to go up there to work some shit out. And then, you know, with many years of experience, we could all sit down afterwards and so how'd that work out? Right. <laughs> did, did, did that chicken work out? Did universally? No. <laughs> I was separate from it. Yeah. I was otherwise engaged yep. um, so that I precisely didn't have to work that shit out. Like, yeah, I think I'm going to go up there by myself to figure something out. Right. No, you're going to go up there by yourself and then avoid it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. But then you can glorify it later if you want in conversation. You know, you can think you could say that it's something different, but ultimately, like it doesn't give you like the lessons that you would maybe learn by this, you know, enforced presence, um may not really be applicable to the thing that, you know, you're actually trying to resolve. Yeah. I mean, probably not, because this is a fairly selfish and individual pursuit, and I'm really only trying to save my own fucking skin right now, and yeah. I'm not going to come back down afterwards and go, yeah, fuck all y'all. Yeah. You know, God, I'm so glad I'm back. I love you so much. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> Thought I was going to die. Yeah. Realize yeah. how important you actually are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, maybe it's just the necessity for, like, reprieve. Yeah. For the brain to just have a break. Yes. And be able to process better Uh, later. Oh, I uh, very much agree with that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because when, you know, I'm thinking of your friend soloing, Mark, and there's a lot of things leading up to that activity. You know, there's the walk to the thing. And then, you know, while you're moving over rock, you're probably not thinking about anything except moving over rock. However, once you're at the top of the thing, yeah. it allows for some reflection where all of these thoughts can come back. So after those chemical reactions all take place in the body and the thoughts come back, maybe you're able to look at the scenario in a different light. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Or even, I mean, like what you were both talking about too, also... Uh, the ever-present 
feeling of mortality. You know, you go solo something and you walk closer to that line uh, and you feel it and it creates different feelings within and you see differently because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is coming from someone who's never soloed. Right. Mom and dad, I don't solo. Don't yeah, worry. No, no, don't. No. I mean, I was roped up for a chocolate muffin warm up. <laughs> I did lead it though. Ginger muffin reach around. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. They all reach around. They all reach around. They all ginger muffin reach around. Joey Jackson. <laughs> and it, But it also doesn't need to, you know, be soloing in a sense like oh, no. yeah we'll no. just call it you know of course i go to the most extreme version um it, but then i i think even a, a not insignificant run out it's the same thing or oh, even yeah. Yeah. or even it's it's like how do you how much you know psychological sort of commitment do i have to this particular route or whatever yeah um it doesn't even need to now this is me talking now yep but i don't think it needs i you know because i'll just say that one of the things i learned in by training people in a gym is that social consequence can also mm-hmm. seem like death i hear like you. The, the, like mortal yes. consequence mm-hmm. right like you can make anything you, we assign imp- or arbitrarily assign importance to things and yeah so me succeeding on this route today can be a really really I can make it really fucking important. Yep. And that enforces, you know, greater participation, greater activation of, you know, available resources, greater presence. And I can, you know, feel like, you know, falling off is, I can make it as important as I want. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. I can, I can give that consequence in a, in, in a way. And, and so it doesn't need to be, you know, without a rope. It can, it can be, hey, a three-foot fall onto a three-eighths-inch bolt. Yeah. I can make that. Yep. I can throw all kinds of tantrums about that, you know, <laughs> or something. But I can also make it psychologically, you know, a thing. Like, I really wanted to have a different experience. I just wasn't able to. Yep. I mean, I agree with that completely. I mean, even in the gym four days ago right like i were just playing on plastic and uh and i tried something harder and i fatigued and fell off and then mark's like you want down or you want to try again and i'm like well old blair would be like embarrassed you know but i'm like that's so silly now i don't judge that then again like we only have experiences that we've had uh and i'm like no i want to change this experience or this so i'm gonna keep going man yeah. 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 And that was a wonderful um practice. Yeah. Well, and I think you've spoken about this in the past about how there's less of an ego now. Oh god, yeah. In New Blair. Oh yeah, completely. And I think I think how I held ego closely when I was younger was unconsciously that perfectionism Mm -hmm. and that's how I felt my ego and 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 my sense of worth and now I understand better that my sense of worth is or my worth is is intrinsic it's my soul it's my heart um and it's how I give to myself to this world and to the people of my life versus my athletic performance on any given day right Right. like I of course I want to I want to do 
well. <laughs> I want to be a good student. I want to do well. I want to do good work. Uh, and it's still, I am, I'm not completely uninfected when I have a, a, a bad run or, you know, or whatever. Because it's meaningful to be- you still. Because it's meaningful. As it should be. Yep. And I also accept that what we ask of ourselves throughout this life isn't just uh, athletic performance uh, and understanding that the people in my life care about me, not because of that, but because of who I am. Right. And so I think that that is a better understanding of how ego played in my life then and how it plays now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Me too. It's Thank really, you. it's been an evolving process yeah. for me. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Would you elaborate a mm-hmm. little bit? Well, I, coming from the soccer background, like yeah. I was the goalie, like you're the one person on the field yep. that is that position. Yep. It's not consequence free. It's not consequence free. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, growing up, that was, that was me. That position was me. Like they're one in the same. Yeah. Yep. And so, and, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that that's a really difficult thing to navigate, especially at young ages. And, and whether it's coaches or parents or adults or whatever, and, and they're like, well, aren't, aren't you going to be this? And you're like, well, well, I'm me. Actually, being me is who I am, but I, I want to do that. Right. You know? Language matters. Language turns out. matters a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, and so progressing in different sports. So moving from soccer to carrying over potentially some of this. Of course. Uh, overachiever perfectionism into climbing, but being more aware of it now. Yes. Uh, working through that ego-driven self is is always a challenge. Yes. Because you want to be seen by your community members as capable. Yep. Or as good. Yeah. And not a Gumby. Yeah. As it were. Oh God, yes. <laughs> I mean, there's always going to be part of me that's a gaper, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so the task of separating, uh, you know, Becky, the climber versus Becky, the human yeah. is a continuing battle because, uh, I love hard sport climbing. I love trying to do the hardest thing. Of course. I yep. can possibly do. I know you do. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> and t- not tying my worth to that is, you know, something that has to be kept in mind oh. every season. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only recently, you know, that I've just been like, oh, whatever. Like, I'm still a human and people will still like me even if I don't do this thing. Yeah. Isn't that a wild journey? Which is really wild because, like, we develop as climbers, you know, there's this esoteric language about certain things. And so somebody says 514B, you know, like 10 people who understand that. (laughs) Yeah. And so you... So you, we use this language, and then we tie our self worth to it, um, and then we get all fucked up when other people don't can't speak the language. They don't like yeah. like we made this we we narrow we refined this so much yeah. that exclude that that refinement excludes so many. Yep, and then we're disappointed that they don't understand, <laughs> and then we like. And then we get mad at ourselves because they don't understand. I'm like, that's the fucking their problem, you know? Yeah. And the difference between an A and a B or a number or a whatever, I mean, it's a, it can, it, it again, it is as important as we make it. Yeah. Right. And 
to have that um, tied so tightly or tied so well to one's identity. Um, it takes a bunch of fucking years before you can look back on that and go, wow, I, I, I'm Becky and, yep. and I'm not, I am not what I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's real fucking hard. It, it is difficult. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. And it's like, uh, it's that passion, you know, that it's that deep caring and that passion. And it's hard to separate that individual performance on a particular day doesn't take away from the passion that is there and the caring that is there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's difficult to, to see the intention and verse the action of the day uh, when you, when you want to do well. And I think if people look deep enough in their either careers or in their chosen sport, like I know not everybody listening is going to be a climber. So this might be a far reach, but I'm thinking of like, Runners. Yep. Like, what is a good? Good is not a great word. That's okay. Sometimes but we don't. What would be an exceptional mile time for a female? Uh, like four. Yeah, low fours. Fours. Yep. So that would be something if somebody didn't consistently run a four minute mile. Yeah. Like they would just f- feel like crap. Like yeah. my self worth is in the tank. Yeah. Or if somebody isn't deadlifting 300 pounds, it's like, what are my peers going to think? Cause I can't deadlift 300 pounds completely. Um, so what I'm curious about with Mark is where in your alpinist journey, did you see a shift in your own ego? When I stopped doing it? Uh. <laughs> Yeah, care I, to I elaborate? Mean, I, I um, I don't. It it actually it it happened before th- that, um, you know, distance from the activity did give me a different perspective. So, I think the biggest shift in um, ego had to do. I mean, I think it's an absolutely necessary. I mean, there's, there's the good part of ego and there's the bad part. And, and the way that I would develop, you know, talk about it today is that you, you know, you need both hubris to believe you can do something or to imagine it in the first place. And then you need the humility to understand that you, um, that you can't do that thing right now and that you need to, to practice, to train, to learn. Mm and but then there's you know there was a whole period of climbing for me which was ego driven which because and that I wanted to do things that people thought were great yeah and yeah. i don't know exactly when it was i could look back probably in my writing and understand that um that at some point i recognized that by doing that I was putting my own belief in myself or my own happiness in the hands of an audience. Yes. And it it probably, you know, maybe it had something to do, you know, with um, at at the advent of certain of climbing competition. Um, I mean, we were always in competition. Yeah. (laughs) It was just not spoken. Yeah. It's like it was possible, you know, who did the greatest, you know, everybody knew who was doing the good, 
stuff, you know, even though it wasn't sort of a formal competition. But so there was a point where I realized, like, I I am making decisions um, about routes that I want to do based on what I believe other people will think about me having done them Mm -hmm. or based on what I think will have the greatest commercial value to the sponsors that I am purporting, you know, to represent. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but, you know, arriving at a point and I don't know why or how, but where I recognize that I should be doing things um, because they please me, because they change me, because they transform me, um, as opposed to broadcasting, you know, doing them because they looked a certain way to, or, you know, put me in a particular group of people or a, a certain hierarchy. Um, I, I don't think there was like a, you know, like a giant epiphany mm-hmm. um, about that, you know, happening. I, but I, I don't know, but it just came to a point where I was like, I'd rather work for the money than beg for the money. Yeah. Coming with your own resources as opposed to, you know, um, gives you a lot of freedom to decide what you want, what you are going to do in that sport. As soon as you develop commercial relationships, whether there is pressure from those commercial sponsors or not, because a lot of times the sponsored athlete, you know, creates that pressure in their own head and puts that pressure on themselves because of that relationship where that, that pressure doesn't exist. And, um, Regardless of where the pressure comes from, if it's internal or it's external, you are not free of it. And then you start making decisions and, and, and uh, uh, about what to do, but also your performance, you know, on those things um, b- based on that sort of, you know, those relationships, that pressure, that kind of thing. And I'm like, if I, if the whole thing is to, you know, to be ultimately free. <laughs> And free to continue or not continue, free to just like I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm done with all of that, and I either stop climbing or, you know, or I fucking jump off. Mm-hmm. But I want to be free to make these make those decisions, and if I have these other relationships in it, um, then maybe I am less free than I think. And certainly now, if I look at you know, social media and, or, or the, the whole topic of, I find the topic of sponsorship a little bit laughable these days because back in the day, um, yeah, getting a free pair of shoes that wasn't sponsorship. It's like, yeah, you're a fucking company. You're doing the right thing by help, you know, by helping out the people who are actually making the sport more interesting mm-hmm. or, um, but, and, and no, it was, like you, if you weren't getting paid, then it's not sponsorship. And now we have the language has changed to something different, and people. And when there's actual cash, then you know what you're worth. Somebody selling their voice, their image, their performance for some free product which got made for fucking nothing in some, you know, country where, you know, labor's cheap, um, you are declaring your self-worth and you're going to be in constant conflict with that. Like, I am worth a free pair of shoes. Um, no, that I, I value, yeah, I value that so much. And, and before we go to sponsorship, which I 
want to talk about, I so value you speaking about a very universal part of the human experience, which is thinking that our lives are for an audience or what we have is for show when it's not. And you talk about that with climbing, but it could be anything. It could be your career, your job, your family, your home, your wedding. It could literally be about anything and thinking the show of it is more important than the experience of your life. Uh, And so I just very much value you being open about that and discussing that because that is a, I believe that that is a universal struggle. And one of the most powerful quotes that I got to hear in my life at a, at the time, right? Like the words matter at the time in your life. And so it was a, it was my yoga teacher at the time. She just said, you know, the outside world will never crown you. You crowned yourself years ago. And I just so connected and valued those words so much that it's never about how it looks to other people. It's about the experience that I am having in this life. And that's difficult to maintain sometimes um, because you care so much And I also, we talked about sponsorships or we talked about last night we were having dinner and we ended up talking about how people would get frustrated looking at magazines. This when magazines were more prevalent, a thing, a thing, uh, and how people would get upset at Photoshop and they would tear companies apart for using Photoshop. So what did companies do? They gave the tools of Photoshop to the people so they could fucking Photoshop themselves and they could sell the products from their home. You know, and so now these companies, they don't have to pay to have these photo shoots necessarily. They just have these people out in the world that will Photoshop themselves and sell their product for them. And it's like, don't you see what has happened? Like they are using you and now you're doing that thing that you condemned. What did I call it in that text message? Oh, cheapening. Yes. Of your commodifying your passions or or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 As soon as you turn what you love into work, it's a little harder to love it. Yeah. It's kind of a love hate relationship then, isn't it? Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. difficult to fight for your worth all of the time. And, 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 and I think it's, it's really difficult to recognize how you're, um, your behavior and what you accept um, in terms of value, like you feel it. Yeah. And, yes. and you don't, and you're like, oh, look, I have this number of somethings. Yep. Like, yeah, you still feel like a piece of shit, don't you? <laughs> I, I mean, because that's what you sold your, you sold yourself for shit, so therefore you are. Yeah. And, 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 and regardless of how many pats on the back, how many likes, how many of this, that, you know, this stuff, you still go to sleep at night realizing that you sold yourself for this. Yeah. Partic- yeah. You know, this price. And so, I mean, we've been talking about the last few days. People are like, wow, you're, you know, you charge too much for your pictures. I'm like, fucking, no, I don't. I know. It's hard to hold that line, though. You, you, you appreciate yep. the work that I do because I put my heart into it. Yep. My heart has, I hold this value, this value for my heart. Yep. We can turn it into a number yeah. if you want to, you know, have something that this heart can make. Yep. Um, but I refuse to lower that because I also, I'd rather not work Yes. and know that my, I have not changed my value in yes. order to accommodate your 
um, idea about value. I very much agree. And it's really tricky to have conversations with those people because you can't understand what their life experiences have been. Completely. And so they're not, potentially you're just not seeing things eye to eye. Yeah, completely. And they haven't thought over some of these concepts. Oh, I, I very much believe that's it. They don't. And, and if we were, if we were just to keep this, if we transition from sport, if we just keep this in the realm of photography, well, they don't understand the heart and eyes and experience that lead to the images. They don't understand a photography kit is almost $50,000, right? (laughs) But even if that that fell out of the sky, you know, if, if, if that didn't, you know, buying the tools wasn't necessarily a thing. Right. Um, it, it's seeing the, you know, th- thinking that they're purchasing the result. Right. Not all of the years. Of, yes. Well, that's the years. That of- allow that particular result to, to exist, to, to manifest in some and, way. And to have people have such a positive experience of self in those moments. Or to look at the image. Oh, like this image. Why do I like this one? Yeah. Well, because it. It's 1971. It's the first ski descent of fucking Grand Teton. Bill. You know, like, like that's why the, it's not a great picture. The horizon line's not even straight. You know, the yeah, who does ski that? tracks are fucking days old. Obviously, you know? who tilts like, a horizon line? Sh- shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the blacks aren't very. You know, whatever. It's like it, it's representative of, of an event. Yes. Like the, the 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 art is the fact that those tracks are fucking there. <laughs> That you know, the man had the vision, it, but but when we look at things, we don't necessarily understand yeah. why we are why we find them powerful. Yeah, and whether that's an activity or it's a object or it's a you know some words strung together in a certain way. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's where the disconnect in that conversation happens. That people understand that they don't understand why it is. They were attracted to this in the first place yeah. um, because they haven't had that conversation because their life experience is different because it's, um, you know, we're just being told to acquire. Yeah. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. think that's a thing. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Becky, how'd you get so good at climbing? Mm. Well, I think it was those years where things were falling apart outside of the world of climbing. That yeah. all I could focus on was climbing because that's what gave me the mental break. And I just poured everything into it. Yeah. I mean, you know how, let's say, addictive yeah. sport can be. It can be a very, very good drug. And probably the best way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And so there's a handful of years that if I didn't want to be at home, right? Yeah, Obviously. Yeah. Um. And so I was just either at work. And then if you weren't outside climbing, you were at the gym (laughs) for hours, 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 hours. And it was, you know, somewhat willy nilly and all random, you know, just throwing a bunch of do what feels good together and time underfoot. I'll use a running. Exactly. Yep. Time underfoot. uh, Because there wasn't, um, let's say like now you work with a coach. Correct. um, At that point. What even is this 2010, 12, 11, whatever, 12, yeah. 11, 12 mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. time frame? Um, there was, you know, you know, coaching was, you know, available. There were some people doing it, but it was still, I mean, back in, I'm just going to say mid 90s, 
Jeff Wigand started coaching other climbers. Um, and it, because he realized he had a, well, a different way of doing things, but also was um, really good at helping other, you know, d seeing potential in others and then, draw and then drawing it out or, you know, helping them refine that. But, but that was super rare. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at that time, and if I look back and I think to 2010, 2012, yeah, there were some books about training mm -hmm. for, you know, sport climbing. <laughs> uh, um, I'm talking specifically for sort sure. of, yeah. you know, warm weather stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it still felt, you know, th um, McLeod's book was probably out by that point. Probably Eric Hurst. But I mean, Eric, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, and then Dale and Uda's um, Neumann's book that came out, you know, way before, mm -hmm. but still it was like, you know, these things were hard to put into practice, mm -hmm. well, especially when we didn't have examples of them. And you, and you started to train specifically. Mm -hmm. yeah. I would, I would find whatever I could on the internet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Metolius at that time was yes. kind of the main hangboard maker yeah. and yeah. maybe leading that charge. So I remember following those very rudimentary hangboard workouts. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember coming home from the gym and my elbow tendonitis and forearms were just demolished. Yeah. You know, and just pain day after day. And yeah. I would go back the next day and be like, well, let's do this again. Yep. I'd come in and you'd be doing like I don't know, a 70 pound pull up. Right. Yeah. Because more campusing is obviously it's the better. solution. Hello. <laughs> yeah. More is always better. Yeah. At, and at that point, for many years, it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I eventually hooked up with a coach out of Colorado named Justin and he doesn't coach anymore. He's gone the corporate climbing gym way. Yeah. Um, but great guy. And I remember him prescribing just massive quantities. Yeah. Just of like, go climb something, go upstairs, do this, go back downstairs, uh, go climb something again, then go do some more like pull-ups or push-ups or it was just, volume. it was volume. just volume, volume, yeah. volume. Um, so those were kind of the early days of climbing coaching where we thought, you know, just climb a ton and yeah. time underfoot. Yep. Um, my, how things have changed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> that things have changed. Yeah. Um, and but one I, of my, strengths that we've talked about last time we saw each other was yeah. you know going dropping into sloth mode as you're climbing yes. and so i love sloth mode one of the skills you can acquire as a climber is uh, just hanging on forever yeah and i think during that period of early forearm blasting um i was able to develop some sort of skill where i can just keep hanging on that's awesome and actually get some sort of strength and endurance back as I'm hanging on the rock, yeah, which is really fun to do. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I've got I have been fortunate enough to photograph Becky while she's done different climbs, and I'm not going to remember any of their names. It's okay, okay. But I just remember one, and and exactly what she's saying. Like she just pauses for a little bit, and it's like her little power meter is like, and it goes back up, and she pulls the strength out, and then she just keeps moving. It's really incredible to witness. Tactics. Tactics. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, right. Ready? Click, click, click. Paparazzi. Which is also part of coaching. Like it's one, like the, 
it, it's not just the ability to do the thing, like to physically hold on to the yeah. holds of that size or to repetitively you know, grab and pull on them. It's like it's learning by way of a good coach how to do things. Right. And like it's not just, okay, I'm just going to bull my way through this because I have power to burn. <laughs> um, <clears throat> famous climbing pop culture references to the Kubert brothers when they first came yes, back. I mean, yes. where he's just like, I don't get tired of power to burn, but, <laughs> yes. uh, but, and that's a, that is a way yeah. of overcoming a problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. But then there are other ways mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, someone who's prone to elbow tendonitis, maybe someone who's prone to certain injuries, like you don't get to, you know, just have that, it, you know, other thing is the solution. You need to figure out different ways to do it. And right. there was a, there was a point, and it never occurred to me um, until I started coaching some guys who were really good. Like, I mean, coaching, tr- training them in the gym and trying to figure out a different a, 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 a different solution to the one that had was being applied all the time. Um, but it occurred to me, like, at some point we're having this discussion. They go, uh, you know, how long did it take before you fell off? And it's like, you know, and it takes about 90 seconds. Like everybody can get to a point at one minute, 30 seconds, mm-hmm. one minute, 35 seconds. And that's when like there, there is nothing more, you yeah. know, the, 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 mm-hmm. the, the tank is empty. Like, holy shit. So the point is, if I can give you another 10 seconds, yeah, then I'm the greatest coach ever. Yeah. Cause you just held on for a minute 45 and that got you to the, you know, to the rest yep. right. that is naturally existing or whatever. Yep. And it was this conversation with um, Eric Kubiak and James Litz um, about that. And Kubiak was like, yes, I've done it. I have timed everything. You know, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're on the short end of the stick. Maybe you get a minute 20, yeah. maybe you get a minute 40, but it's somewhere in there for fucking everyone. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, how do we figure out how to give somebody more time and measured and it's, and it's measured in fucking seconds Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the level those guys were at. And, and that I think is, is some, you know, there's something there that you can only, you only get, you're not going to figure that out on your own. Mm -hmm. It's either in conversation with other like overthinkers or it's with a coach that you hire that also has seen and understands it. Oh, it has been profound. You know, I've been training since I was like 11 years old. And and this speaks specifically to Mark, Michael, and Aaron, and specifically right now, Mark. Um, I mean, it is incredible to train in the gym with them. And with Mark, who has such experience, not only in the mountains and with sport and with with movement, but also with training others and, and working professionally, um, creating gyms and training others. Uh, I'll be doing like a simple movement and, and I'll just give one specific example. And there are there are so many, you know, and I am familiar with training. I'll be doing something, you know, and like I was doing bench press, dumbbell bench press. And Mark's like, why don't you just hold them up? Like, don't bring them both down, hold them up and just do one at a time. And, and it's just these, like, it's these like little micro changes in the training that completely change it. And it's for me personally to get to experience this has been so positive because my training is so much more productive 
while not being destructive. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not tearing myself apart. I mean, granted, my personal habit is if I'm questioning anything is to just go ahead and overtrain. Do more. Do more. And I can tell and keep all of my athletes in, 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 in a really healthy spot. And I tell them, I'm like, I'm going to give you all these great words. I can't listen to them myself, you know, very often. Um, but these little changes and, and, and because of Mark's experience to get to participate in it and have this directly in my own life has been incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so working with someone that has experience is uh, a tremendous change. And that's really where climbing training and climbing coaching has gone yeah. within the fast, like the last five years Yeah, where now I have a different coach, Chris Hampton, and he, his main goal is to prevent me from doing too much. Good. And good uh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he recognizes a, he, a particular personality trait characteristic. Definitely. We'll say. And I, yeah. I, offer it you know i bring it to the table i said i know this is one of my downfalls what's going on with your right elbow right now oh it's horribly tendonitis yeah i just made that verb yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) um is that a result of disobeying coach and doing too much uh, you know (laughs) or a result of just being old we'll blame it on that Mile edge. Right. Mileage. Mile edge. Mm-hmm. I'm suffering from a little of the old AGE. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do, it's, it, it will be a thing, you know, connective tissue gets a little bit less elastic. It's true. With time. But um, you found someone whose voice you respect. And when he says do less, you listen. Mm-hmm. And he probably programs quite a bit less uh, on purpose, knowing that I might add a couple things on the side. Yeah. 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 I had my first, um, first hip replacement I had, uh, same guy did both, but, and it was a guy that I think, you know, 2010 timeframe, we raced bikes against each other, blah, blah, blah. He knows of me, knows my personality. So when he said, you know, most hip doctors are saying you can, you know, giving a prescription for how much weight to put on the new hip. He dialed it, you know, everybody says, yeah, 50% weight is totally fine. He said 30 because he knew I was going to do 50, 50 anyway. anyway. And if, he, if, he, if, if he said 50, I was going to do 70 or right. whatever. Yeah, it's right. like having someone who understands that we are going to um, interpret their direction, their coaching or whatever is mm-hmm. in a certain way is um, probably the, worth whatever we pay them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I really find value in, in good yeah. coaching. I think it's one of the best ways uh, me as an adult will spend whatever extra money I might have lying around. Like I will definitely pay for a good coach. Um, and it's interesting. I don't know if you're seeing this in the fitness industry or probably in running where there seems to be a proliferation of quote unquote coaches who are selling their product. Uh, and you know, I just can't help but question, uh, the credentials behind a lot of these individuals. Of course. Um, is that a thing in in the fitness industry, also, it's not just in climbing, I can't imagine. 
I think it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, everywhere. Fucking, I mean, if, if there are life coaches, then, if, then, That's true. then it's shit's made up everywhere, you know, regardless of the activity. Um, and... Where are we going? Where are we going? Well, there was Let's a certain, certain yeah. word there that triggered me. Ooh, mm. what did you get triggered by? Credential. Credential. Mm. <laughs> because... because because of and and I've had you know convers- numerous conversations over the years you know especially with kids who are just like yeah I'm an exercise physiology major and I want to do what you do and I'm like well okay have 20 years of fucking experience after you get out of college of course and then maybe that thing and so uh, and and so I think I think the credentials are can be indicative of someone's ability but and also not but also not yeah. and and i and when we especially when we talk about coaching we're talking about human relationships specific to particular type of performance um but it's mostly it's mostly human behavior yep and people like and and i will you know i have always said and i won't go back on this is that um and people are asking about yeah but what what diet's the best and i said your diet 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 discussions are always social. They're like, no, they're not. And I'm like, prove me fucking wrong. Tell me, like, when you go home and you're in a family situation, how able you are to to impose your intermittent fasting on your fucking nine-year-old child. Right, yeah. You know, how are, are these, you know... Yeah, the, the, these particular ingredients may be the best in the fucking world, but if you won't eat them, it doesn't matter. Right. And like, and I think it's the same with training and coaching in any way. It's like we have to help people get out of their own way or help them. And that's a behavior thing. It's not like, okay, hold the hold like this. It's not, you know, three sets of eight to 10 at 80%, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's not this formula there. We need to have the conversation. And um, in order for it to to be coaching, if we're talking about, you know, directed training, that's different. And a lot of people, they just need to be told what to do when it comes, whether it's, you know, how many routes do I do? How many, you know, what do I do in the, 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 the gym, the rock gym, but also the other artificial gym? How many miles do I do? How many, you know, like a lot of people, that's just what they, that's what they need. But you arrive at a certain point, you stall out uh, in terms of progress you may have fulfilled your maximum potential. Probably not. Probably not. Um, and that's when you need to start having the conversations with people of like, and someone who can potentially see how you get in your way. How, you know, like uh, a conversation I had with this uh, Jeremy Reitman once. He's, he was headed, I mean, he was pretty far down the road with schema, schema racing. And we were sitting there, and he's like, what, how do I improve? You know, I've stopped improving. How do I I'm like, well, what, what is it that you don't do in training? And this was the, it was that, the reason I can mention Jeremy is because it was the first time I realized, like, holy shit, this is, this is the question. It's not do more, it's do the thing that you are avoiding. Like, if you, if, and I think a lot of that happened, a, a lot of this idea of, like, coaches hanging out a, you know, oh, I opened a box, 
you know, I opened a CrossFit gym in my garage. Oh, I did a two-day seminar, um, you know, on the weekend, and now I'm officially a fucking certified CrossFit something level one, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think that was um, the opposite end of the pendulum, you know, from the master's degree or, you know, something in uh, exercise physiology and knowing all of the, like, do I need to know about the Krebs cycle? Fuck no. 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 Um, because I can look it up. I don't even remember, you know, it's something to do with some shit in the cells. I don't know. But, but the problem is you're putting too much weight on your right leg. You know, like, does it, you know, does it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what's this injury that you have in your ankle, knee, hip, you know, whatever on the left side that's preventing you from using it properly? Like, like that's the, those are the things that we, that we start to need and, and that's to me what differentiates differentiates a trainer from a coach. A coach has like eight or nine clients, right? Because that's what they can actually tolerate. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that, and that's a maximum. Oh yeah. Because yeah. if you're up in somebody's shit, yep. you know, twenty four hours a day to try and help them improve, yep. there's maybe less mm-hmm. than five mm-hmm. where you could actually afford that. And then of course. Um, that's unaffordable for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you want that, that level of expertise. And, and I, I don't know how it is in sort of climbing coaching. Um, I do see it in fitness. We laugh mostly because mm-hmm. we have, now we have a lot of years of doing it and understanding like, oh, well, I'm, to arrive at a certain point, everything works to... If you keep doing it. Oh, to arrive at a certain point, everything works. <laughs> it's just that if you want to get past that point, right. if you want to then, or I mean, the, the actual, I think the actual Dan John quote was, everything works for a while. For a while. Mm-hmm. And then you the have to goal. change. Keep the goal. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or our other joke is like, what do I do on day 91 after most P90X thing yeah yeah is done yeah Yeah. oh i totally agree that you know in that very loosely termed word called credentials i think comes experience oh god yeah yeah Yeah. and i don't just mean formal education you know a degree a certification program i mean obviously those are worth something but also the experience is worth a ton a ton and i think because because the um because experience is troubleshooting. If there was no trouble, if there, you know, if it was easy, you know, then there would be no need for no need. a coach or a side conversation mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I think there's tremendous value in that coach athlete relationship, um, and it can be, you know, sometimes it needs to um, be quite persistent for a long time, but yeah. sometimes it can just be a season, an, a season yeah. mm-hmm. of learning a different way yeah. and then putting it into practice. Mm-hmm. And I'd much rather have a short-term you know, student, let's say, who then gets kicked out of the nest and goes yes. and does their own thing. And mm-hmm. maybe they're like, oh, maybe they come back. You know, maybe they just do a flyby later and go, thanks. Yep. Yep. Or, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that's, 
um, I think it's really, really valuable. And not in terms, not only in terms of what, how a student might benefit, but also in the value of it. Of oh, completely. I think it's um, immensely valuable. You know, I ached for a great coach my whole life. And then, um, and then I had people start to reach out and ask me about coaching and have been able to coach, you know, for a number of years now. And, uh, and I've had so many incredible athletes that have impacted me so profoundly. Right. And that's, that's, that's part of any great relationship is you're both giving to one another and receiving. And, um, you know, at the art opening the other month, Mark was able to meet this woman, Amy, who I was fortunate enough to coach, you know, 2020 through 2021. And it was such a powerful relationship. I didn't know how much I needed that relationship. Um, and she's just this absolutely beautiful writer. Uh, and, and for some reason she was drawn, something spoke within her and she was drawn to an endurance effort. And she was drawn to running. She's like, I don't know why. She's like, and so the question became, can you run an ultra without really caring if you run an ultra? And the fact of like not needing the audience, not needing the title, um, but caring passionately for the experience. And so that was the that was our journey throughout this training. And, you know, life has just been so wild for everybody um, the past couple of years. And the event that we were training for, well, one what is really helpful for me is an athlete that, um, that speaks to me. Right. And, and I mean that, and by giving me words, whether we're talking on the phone or it's through letters, if I don't hear from someone, it's such an empty relationship for me. I, I can't be the coach in that situation. Cause I'm like, well, how do you feel what's going on in your life? Uh, how does your body feel? How's your soul feel? How's your heart? Where's your mind at? If, if I don't get that information, I actually, I can't do anything for you. And, and, and I can't, coach those people mm-hmm. and and bonus she was such a beautiful writer which impacts me in such great ways I would receive these letters from her and it was really it was really impactful to me as well and then I could write back to her this event so she decided to train for her first 55k first ultra event and and had never run anywhere close to that distance before and you know we go through this year of training together and a couple of weeks before the event, it's canceled for wildfires because that's what we, that's the world we live in now. And so wildfires canceled her event. And, and I just wrote to her and I just said, I want you to sit for a couple of days, uh, figuratively and think about this. <laughs> I didn't actually require that ever. And I was like, I want you to decide if, if we're done, I want you to decide if you want to just go run in the mountains, your own ultra or if you want to sign up for another race, because it needs to be your decision. And she decided to run in the mountains on her own. And she decided to even run further. She decided to run her age. Uh, and so she ran further and she navigated um, the logistics of planning this route and carrying everything that she would need. And it was just like, it was such an incredible gift in my life as well. And fast forward a year later, um, and Aaron and Elodie and Michael and Mark are working on this project, which has me reading through our entire correspondence and holy shit, like reading through a year and a half, two years of correspondence of coaching, correspondence. of coaching. Or, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Of coaching correspondence. I mean, her words and my own past Blair words were lessons I needed to hear yet again and read through 
And, and yet again, this past experience of coach athlete, it was a gift in the time that it was. And then reading through this recorded interaction was such a gift in my life all over again. And that was an incredibly fulfilling relationship for me. And I was the coach. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's, <laughs> and Chris feels that when he's <laughs> probably not. <laughs> They're different sports, man. <laughs> different well, people. I think uh, the way you operate, Blair, is is a little bit different than than my personality. Yes, uh, I tend to drop into like the ones and zeros. Yep. Of what needs to be done. Okay, do it. Go. Uh, yep. And then I'll reflect later yep. at those lessons, but I'm very uh, goal-oriented. Yep, completely. Um, and so the trainer aspect of being a coach, yep. meaning complete this task, complete that task, lift these weights, resonates with me. Yeah. And you, depending on the sport that you're in, it can be so technical that you need um, someone who understands that really well. Yep. It's like, well, so what's this project that you have? Yep. And you say what the project is, and then why can't you do it now? Right. What is stopping you? And is your idea of what is preventing you from doing, from accomplishing this task, accurate mm -hmm. or not? Mm -hmm. Is it... Um, uh, and then we have that discussion, you know, is it, you know, this particular, like, let's just say it's a sport route and it's a, you know, is it an action, is it a bouldering issue? Is it like a purely technical thing or is it an accumulated over and over thing where the endurance is missing? Is it um, that you know, your wingspan isn't long enough so that you need to hit this hold at absolute maximum extension and turn it on immediately. Um, it, it, whereas someone with a little bit, you know, better reach would be within their 90% threshold when they actually made contact. Like those are, I think, really fascinating to discussions, discussions they have. And it almost comes down to like, okay, on a project by project basis, um, with a particular sport climb, like, okay, I need to, uh, there's this thing I need to train differently to do this one. And that is one of the reasons I love climbing due to those technical aspects where you're picking apart certain minutia of movement to optimize mm -hmm. your body moving over rock. Um, and so Again, going back to how climbing just kind of encapsulates your thought process where you're not able to even have normal human emotions as you're climbing. You're just focused on the task and the next hold and the next movement and the breathing. You're not thinking about, oh gosh, I, you know, problems at home or, uh, you know, your career choice or what happened with your sibling or your son or daughter earlier in the day. Um, sometimes when I hear Blair speak about her coaching experiences, I feel like in running and probably a lot of other sports, you're able to break down a lot of those emotions as you're doing the activity. But in climbing, 
one of the reasons I was drawn to it was because of the focus needed, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so what you're speaking of where um, we're breaking down the minutia, especially when you get to those higher levels, it's super appealing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And especially if you can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then resolve it. Um, do you find yourself doing, um, uh, come up with a project that you're, that's pretty much the opposite of what you're really good at? Currently, yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I've wanted to get you out there to shoot it. Yay, But then at the same time, I'm like, well, I should probably send it before we shoot it. But Maybe not. Maybe not. It's an old Alex Lowe line. Okay. Yay. Yeah. Let's go. Yep. And why is it hard for you? Um, <laughs> insecure sloping liebacks. So in climbing, uh, you know, you can climb all angles of rock. If it's straight up dead vertical, uh, some people prefer that. If it's overhanging, I really enjoy overhanging rock. Yeah. Uh, and then the opposite of overhanging rock would be, you know, slabby. This little piece um, is a little bit off vertical in uh, in the slab direction. Yeah. Uh, it goes from like vertical to kind of slabby, but pff, we're just talking a couple of degrees. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nothing huge. And uh, if you aren't familiar with climbing you just envision a giant butt crack and that would be the sloping lie back where where you're just pulling one direction with both hands and you're pushing the opposite direction with both feet yeah um and it has been my nemesis the past couple seasons let's Um, go i think because of the amount of body tension needed and it's a about 110 feet long so it, it demands a decent amount of focus yep and the crux is at the top the hardest part is literally the last couple moves mm. yeah mm. and it's rad um and i was not psyched on it at all last season mm-hmm. after putting a lot of time into it the year before and i think now i'm coming around again to start giving it more time yeah. I'm not doing it for the grade. The grade hasn't really, doesn't have a solid uh, following behind it. It's been given a range of things and that doesn't even matter. Yeah. Um, and it's a ra- it's given a range of things based, I mean, probably according to the specific characteristics of the individuals do, who have done it. Correct. It's huh. like, yeah, if you got, yeah. I mean, Alex's wing, he, I, I want to... Somebody out there can correct my memory, but I think plus plus six ape index. Mm. So well past that's, six feet. That's pretty big. Yeah. 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 So and so that's gonna you know, and someone who has plus three, um, well, they're gonna find things different. Right. Yeah. And right. and that's just in, that's just proportional, you know, in a in in a sense to to ones because plus six also comes with long legs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe a a really bound up layback is probably not that great for someone with, you know, really long limbs. Mm-hmm. So that particular thing might be harder than for, you know, someone who was, I'll just say, Scott Franklin height. Yeah, yeah. Well, 5'4". <laughs> yeah. 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 But I'm enjoying, I'm trying to find 
uh, the joys about it because it's been frustrating, yeah, right? Yeah. Which climbers sometimes look for. They look for the hard, frustrating challenges. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've come very close a number of times and just haven't been able to put it all together. And it's also been tricky because it hides in this little alcove that uh, will get sun at about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But it seems to stay really humid until about 10 or 10.30. So your window is like 11 to 2. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I'm, I've fallen back on blaming conditions sometimes where humidity is a factor. And I only know that because I've climbed on it when it's been really dry and I've been really excited about how great everything feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Uh, and then you come back the next day and there's just, uh, because it's kind of like in a Cirque-like alcove feature, things tend to sit, like humidity tends to yeah. sit in there yep. and then it will lift uh, late morning, yep. right before the sun hits. Um, so all of these things need to come together. My body, the conditions my brain yeah uh so it's been a really fun challenge that i've talked about it enough with people normally climbers don't like to talk about things that they're working on that they're maybe not positive that they will be able to successfully climb from the bottom to the top yeah. and what will people think of me what if will I people it as my think objective of me and i yeah. fail god yeah. damn it yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have to... It, that has to be factored in. It has even to be factored in. Even yeah. if it's unconscious. Yeah. yeah. You know, in yeah. A, like, where... Yeah. I'm just over here, like, wiggling. Like, yeah, let's go over there. Whether you send it or not, let's go put some, like, stoke there. Let's go, yeah. la- let's go put a layer of stoke in that alcove. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> I think my initial motivation for working on this was because it was difficult. Yeah. And because, as far as I know no female has done it before and it's probably had like maybe six ascents or so plus or minus but now i think my motivation has changed to the beauty of it and to the history because there's still an old incredible history there's still an old bolt there that i think alex made in his garage you know that we're just leaving (laughs) who knows if it's safe it's probably fine (laughs) um uh, the location is gorgeous. You know, we love Gallatin Canyon. There's so many good rock climbs yes. in that canyon. And so the motivation has shifted for me into a more healthy place. I love that. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild as I you're just... talking about this as well. I, I hadn't realized until you said it. I'm like, oh my God, you're right, Becky. Obviously, you know yourself. Uh, I'm like, everything I've shot you on has been overhanging. <laughs> That is funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 There was a project in Ten Sleep mm. also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I will admit I'm grade chasing. Yeah. Yep. Do it. Bumping it up to the next level. Yep. Okay. And uh, also longer, which is my forte. Remember yep. sloth mode? Just Love hanging on mode. forever. Yep. Yep. Um. It's probably one or one of the softer climbs of this grade. So in climbing, all rock climbs are given an arbitrary numerical grade, yep. depending on difficulty. 
And for some reason in my head, I would just really like to climb the next grade yeah. because I like doing difficult things. Yeah. And uh, I think I'm getting closer on this one in 10 Sleep. Um, done all the moves, which is a big step in the climbing world to have done all the moves. Yep. And now I just have to piece it together. Yeah. Um, so that one is much more straightforward to train for because it's grab the little holds and pull really hard. Yeah. And and that's pretty much it. Yeah. So like, why, why can't you do it right now? Um, the holds are very little at the bottom and they are at my max extension and I have to ensure that my body tension and my finger strength are all working as one. Yeah. And it was towards the end of last fall that I was able to finally do all the moves. And so what, what, what had allowed that to, was it, but you know, practice on them or was it the fact that you had done enough volume for the season Were the conditions absolutely perfect were. Yeah. Practice on the individual holds and, uh, getting the right, beta or the right body position. So yeah. uh, working with another female mm-hmm. because of just height differences that there's various ways, obviously to make your way up a rock climb. And if you're working with another female, that's like five, four, five, six, kind of my height, yep. we can kind of use the same sequence. Yep. This, yep. Yeah. And so dialing in those positions and it's the amazing thing about climbing is that you can touch a hold and your brain immediately is like, holy crap, I cannot hold on to this thing. Yeah. But the more you do it, yep. and the more you become comfortable with the discomfort <laughs> yeah. and the insecurity, yep. you're like, oh, that's not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, maybe I can hold on to this. Yep. And then it transforms into, okay, I got this. I know what I am getting myself into. Yep. So you're go from the unexpected, this is really bad, how am I ever going to do this? And then the language transforms into, okay, this isn't so bad. Uh, I know what I'm getting into. Yep. I can handle this and just keep moving. And so, uh, you know, it only takes a handful of tries, three, four, five, six tries, and that narrative shifts in your brain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you like projecting things, or is that simply the requirement for the higher grades that they cannot be on-sided? Um, I'm going to take the easy answer. I love on-site climbing, but I also love projecting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the easy answer, mm-hmm. which I also can respect. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think projecting has the ability to teach you more about yourself, and it is consistently a practice in humility and a practice in patience and a practice in, um, you know, just good old try hard of getting frustrated and then throwing yourself at it again and hitting your head against the wall and getting frustrated and then doing it the next day, uh, until there's a breakthrough. Now there's a really long format podcast about climbing out there. And, uh, it's called the nugget climbing podcast. Yeah. And uh on a 
recent episode, an, an individual, uh, a European was interviewed and he was speaking about putting over a hundred days into projects. Like talk about patience and talk about persistence. Yeah. Like that is impressive yep. to Whoa. put a hundred, 150 days. And we're talking about boulder problems. So walking up to a boulder, piece of rock that essentially you have like five to 15 body movements yep. to go from the bottom to the top of this boulder. Working on that for over a hundred days is like super impressive. Yes, it is. Yeah. So that listening to that podcast really put things in perspective where there's individuals out there that have uh, more patience, just incredible stamina, <laughs> stamina. Yeah. Yeah. Mentally. Yeah, that is stamina. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I could do that. Yeah. That's yeah. intense. Throw yourself at something for that many days. Yeah. But yeah. if you say, I'm, I'm not sure that I could do that, uh, where, then where is the line? You know, when do you draw the line? You're just like, ah, I'm never going to get this and I walk away or I've put in 29 days and I'm not putting in one more. Yeah. I'd, I'd, for me, I don't know where that line is just yet. Yeah. Um, one way of coping with banging your head against the wall yeah. over and over again on a climb, or yeah. maybe just in life in general, is finding the little wins, you know? Yes. Advancing on a rock climb, one more hold, that might be the win for the week or for the month. Yep. Just doing one more move. Yep. Moving your hand from here over to here might be the progress you need mentally yes. to continue. Yep. Um, so that's a good and analogy to life. Too. I think it's a really good analogy to life. <laughs> and doing the route, getting to the top might be the one thing you need to go home and say, motherfucker, I want a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Could be a little thing like that. Yeah. yeah. Could be. <laughs> well, sometimes it's really interesting how anticlimactic that that final oh, climb is when you get to the top and you're like, Oh, now what? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I did exactly. it. I did the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Probably beautifully because when you actually do the thing, yeah. it feels really easy. Yeah. Yeah. When it, all of the pieces, it's like, remember when we were kids, those little square puzzles where you had to shift all the, Oh yeah. All the squares around. Yep. It's kind of like when you've shifted all the squares to make the object in a climb, it just becomes effortless. Mm. And then there you are at the top and you're like, well, I can definitely do something harder than this. Yeah. Because that felt easy. Yeah. Um, when you, I've often found that that sort of goal reorientation is like one of the hardest and most depressing parts of life. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> It's like, well, it's like you had this incredible journey with this deep connected friend and then you have to say goodbye to that friend. Mm -hmm. It's like a big athletic goal. Right. And there's, I mean, honestly, there's like a mourning process to that. You had yeah. this incredible experience and it created your universe and your world and your direction and gave you heart and passion. And, and then, and then all of a sudden that journey's done. Right. Yeah. 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 It's very difficult. And then to find a new, and then it's like, it's not just, oh, I could do something harder. It's like, okay, I need, it, it needs to not only have to be harder, but it also needs to 
like the movement needs to be beautiful, the location needs to be right. If I'm yeah. going to project it, it shouldn't be on the East Coast. Right. <laughs> yeah. I fall and pray to that, by the or way. Or I can't, you know, get, you know, travel. I can't be there enough in order to, to, to do it. Like all of these things need to like to, to come into place. And then in order for it to be so attractive that you're willing again to do. Yeah, what to, needs to be done. To put all of it, because it's like, well, that project took me X number of days, X number of tries over X number of seasons. Do I have that again? Do I have to? Yeah. Is this, right. an, is this particular objective enough yeah. to, 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 to elicit that from me? Right. Do again? I want to start this relationship over again? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So how much do you hold back on a project so that that doesn't happen? Zero. Okay. No holding back. Okay. I'm muerte all the time. <laughs> we need to get this done. Oh my God, that should be a shirt, the sloth climber a la muerte. <laughs> mm. He slowly raises the metal sign. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, I, I, I often wonder about that because once the project is finite is complete it's like we say that's the uh, this is my ultimate objective to do this thing but then with enough experience in life knowing how hard it's going to be to have done it Hmm. like all of the you know what comes in the wake of actually accomplishing the thing uh, do we sabotage ourselves a little bit so huh. we don't have to do the yeah sure to, so we don't have to have that experience like in a subconscious having, way yeah 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 which is why I asked I yeah mean, not that you could give a conscious answer answer to something which is maybe unconscious mm-hmm. but also maybe you're not that person uh, maybe not I really enjoy the self talk on the route as. Let's say you're going for your red point attempt. You're trying to climb from bottom to top without falling. Um, some Sometimes self-talk is really easy yeah. during those times, and you can stay positive. But there's always moments, not always, but frequently there's moments of doubt. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I really enjoy recognizing yeah. in the moment and trying to reverse the narrative in the moment and still remaining on the wall. Yeah. And, you know, climbing in a, in a concise fashion. Yeah. Um, Rolo had a really beautiful story about that. I mean, one of the, the uh, climbers that he coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, recently. Yes. She just sold the North Face of the Eiger. Yep. And uh, had gotten, gone, gotten up to, I can't remember exactly what the situation was, but it was like, yeah, I was shit in my head and I you know, could have just left, but I hung out, you know, all day. Yep. Climbed shutting and watched and this and that and and rewrote the narrative in her head that allowed her to go up and solo with the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, that's really something. Like it that's really a, is. A, 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 as a coach to have an athlete do that and be like, yeah, physically, I don't, you know, that's not the important stuff. It's that. Mm-hmm. It's like managing my own psychology to, you know, 
be able to have the experience that I want to have. Mm-hmm. And that's what Rolo expressed to you, like how powerful that relationship as coach and athlete was because of what she was able to work through of changing that narrative. That meant so much to him that she was able to walk through that within herself while she's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, as an athlete being coached, you're working on a lot of physical skills and you have to have the confidence yes. that the physicality will take over when needed. Yep. It's making sure your head is in the right space. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So she probably was like, physically, I got this. I just have to stay here, get my head straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Conditions are good. Why would I leave? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, co- external conditions, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, on the, on the face were good. I, um, I really want to talk about the commodification of passion. Yeah. I think it's, it, it is potentially a human characteristic to um, try to turn what we love into a way of earning a living, not just, you know, hey, when you turn what you love into a way of living, that's a good thing. When you turn what you love into a a way of earning a living and th- then I, t- it, I think it changes the relationship in an irreparable way and not only for us in, in like especially if it's like oh I want to turn it could be sport it could be it could be making pictures it could be yeah. writing be like I love writing I would like to make a living writing and yeah. then you're like oh that's a different thing those are two very different things and then maybe you learn to um, not love writing so much anymore, for example, or, um, and so I think there, there's that, this part of it is like bringing commerce into love or art uh-huh. is one thing, but then I'm looking out into the world and I, and I see that commodification, like turning an experience into something that has commercial value um, happening more and more and more and more, partially because of the tools, but then also the acceptance of, or this idea as Blair talked about, like, oh, I'm living for an audience or I'm doing this thing for an audience. Like, oh, I'm going to go to the place and I got my van and I got my husky dog and I got my portable sauna and I'm going to set it all up in this beautiful place and, and, and I'm going to wag my tail feathers and th- somehow I will influence others to like, what are you influencing? For, and I think ultimately that destroys and all I, of those things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think, and I think what you're saying and correct me if I'm wrong, are there so many nuanced layers to this? Right. But, but the frustrating part is selling shallow waters. And when we sell shallow waters, not only are we lessening our own worth, we unintentionally make people feel alone because we we sell the surface level or we sell the idea just of happiness versus um, holding people in the totality of the exp- the human experience, right? And the, and and so I'm maybe this will make sense. Let's just go for it. I struggle when people see me now and they say. It's so nice to see you happy again. And 
I really struggle with this and, and I understand where their heart's at and I understand, um, that they just want to see me. Okay. But when we, when we navigate towards, um, simplifying things, we miss out on so much of life or we're not acknowledging so much of life. So I struggle with that because I'm like, well, you know what? It does feel really nice to experience happiness again, but also I'm so much more than that. And if you can't see that, then I don't feel seen in totality and the commodification of our experiences or the commodification of of empowerment or encouragement when we sell, when we're selling uh, a way of life that's bright and happy and we turn characteristics or virtues that should just be part of being a human into things that people can buy, it lessens the human experience and it changes the intention of the experience, if that makes sense. You went for it. I really mm-hmm. went for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think when we were texting about this earlier, yeah. a while ago, yeah. I- was the word like cheapening? Yes. Of yes. I, I might have created that word. I'm not sure. Who cares? It is, it's it perfect. is a word. It's the okay. perfect and word. It's a very this. apt and yeah. I think yes. Yeah. Like cheapening the experience. I believe we used in in that particular context. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And and cheapening it is is not presenting it in its totality, right? So it's 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 presenting it as an advertisement. Um, versus presenting it as this journey of life. Yeah. I mean, everything in a way um, seems to be an advertisement now. I mean, it seems like it's why social media exists. Um, And there's, it's like a consequence-free, you know, sort of activity or whatever. I don't see the point, you know, because... What do I learn from shallow water? What do I learn? And if and if I, and if I don't, um, I, I think that something you said there, Blair, about the the influence of like if we have this idea about an outcome that yeah. I'm going to do the thing, and the only reason I want to do the thing is so that I can show the thing. And yeah. we talked about it, like yeah, he wants to be a climber, but he doesn't want to do the climbing. Yeah. He wants to be seen as a climber. Seen as a climber. He wants to, he doesn't want to do it. He wants to have done it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the immediate example that popped into my head when you started talking, Mark, was recently, I believe some sort of virtual reality experience was created based on and within Alex Honnold's soloing. Like, I think he is, if I'm understanding this correctly, I think he went and soloed a bunch of stuff just for this virtual reality experience that they're now pitching to people to own or to experience also. So the only reason he did these climbs was to do this filming for this virtual reality experience. Yeah. That was like the first example that came to mind when you started speaking of uh, commodification of... sounds like a conversation that needs to be had and recorded. With... Yes, <laughs> yeah. I love that. Wow, yeah. 
I mean, the I'll just say that if there's there's a company. Now we're talking about hubris. To think that something like that, soloing a route like that, could be turned into like that. It's just the physical, like here's the size of the oh, hole, here's the doing, yeah. and that yeah. that it is actually the experience. Like that you could okay, I'm going to put on these VR goggles, right? But you're not well, touching the soul of the thing. Well, there's so many senses missing. Yes, 100%. Right, because yep. mm-hmm. and you could, it could be so realistic that you think you're going to die when you miss that hold, mm-hmm. which he faked missing because that was part of the you know requirement for the commercial. Like, make it more exciting. I'm like, dude, it's fucking exciting enough. Right. All right? <laughs> yeah. it's like, doing it well and not, you know, not missing a hold or whatever, it's, there's plenty here for mm-hmm. everyone to experience. But but to think that like oh does it oh, it's virtual reality but where's my sense of smell yeah mm-hmm. why can't I smell the fucking you know my the, my the, sweat my nervous sweat the, that <laughs> evil nervous sweat yeah. why can't I smell the tincture why don't where yeah. there's no things out you know um, what does it feel like to put this amount of pressure, pressure. on that foothold right, it's right. not just what I you know. Yeah, so there's there's some commercial hubris right there mm-hmm. in in coming up with the idea in the first place and thinking that it could be. I mean, for sure you could sell it, absolutely, because and it, it will sell, and it will sell. It's right. just like fucking Zwift mm-hmm. or whatever, where like yeah, I rode the on the TV screen that was sending messages to the resistance unit on my bike. I I did I rode up the you know, that particular climb in the Alps that they finished on. And I, yeah, it was awesome. I was right next to Tish Benut, you know, because he also on Swift or whatever. Like I, these things can be sold. Absolutely. Um, and that's fucking terrible. I th- on the one hand, however, yeah. guess what? Yep. Anybody who's doing a fucking Zwift race or training using Zwift or having a virtual reality experience with their fucking goggles at home, um, you know, doing some, you know, climb somewhere, they're, they're at home. They're not outside polluting the world. Yeah. And I, by polluting, I mean everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's the outhouse theory. I just say, keep all the shit in one place. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. More yeah. space for us. <laughs> Which is, you know, selfish and fucked and all of that. And so therefore I am. We are. Yes. <laughs> yeah, certainly. <laughs> but Blair, you've seen it in photography also. Oh, yeah. Oh. Or just creation of art. Oh, man. Full send wherever you I mean, are. I think uh, I struggle with a lot of things, and I love and honor a lot of things. Hi, I'm human. Um, and with art, the only art that I want to see is what comes from an individual's true heart without them caring how it's perceived or received from the audience. Uh, and I witness people who put art out there and, and it's not their own heart. It's, they take these missing puzzle pieces. They take these perceived missing puzzle pieces of themselves and they take it from other artists and they present it as their own, or they use tactics that they think appeal to commercial companies or to other people. Or if we talk about photography, their subjects are just used in their images and, and they're not honored uh, and they're just used to, to sell 
the photographer. And that's really upsetting to me, especially in the realm of photography, because for me, the opportunity to take somebody's picture is the opportunity for me just to be a conduit from the universe and and to let somebody see themselves in their biggest form. And by that I mean to be moved by an image of themselves because so often people are hard on themselves and, and they can't truly see how incredible and unique and powerful they are. And when I have the chance to be in a room where someone's giving birth and I take pictures of them and ooh, I'll get emotional and they're upset about their physical form for a while because they've gone through this transformative experience, but they don't look like who they once looked like. And I can take their picture in that moment and give it to them and tell them that they're one of the most powerful people that I've ever had the chance to witness. That is an incredible honor in somebody's life. And then I witness these photographers gobbling up these moments of life to sell themselves as photographers instead of honoring that moment. And I get really upset about it. And so for me in this personal arena, that's how I see the commodification of passion is because, yeah, we're doing the same thing, but we're not doing the same thing at all. And I get upset when, when people don't see the difference of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we were going to go sport, but we went. Well, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to swing yeah, us please back. Do. Can yeah, I yeah, yeah, bring course. us back to sport? Yeah. Um, I took money off the plates of other better climbers. What do you mean? As a sponsored athlete, right? Yeah. There's a certain amount of pie available at the time. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and, and how, and obviously there is a there there are different ideas about um who should get a piece of the pie yeah who should be rewarded who should be supported is it is it the people who you know are the very best at it who are pushing the limits of human possibility and human experience human potential within the context of that sport or is it the people who um look the best or who shout the loudest yeah. um and sell the most shit yeah. for others yep and so when I say that I took money off the plates of, you know, or something like that, it's I wasn't the best climber. Yeah. But I communicated about climbing better than anybody. Yeah. And so I was re- financially rewarded for that. Did yeah. I push the limit of the sport in certain ways? Not at all. In the technical aspect of it, um, th- because I, I wasn't pushing technical limits, and the thing that I was searching for in my um, uh, in my own climbing experience um, was the antithesis of, of of acquisition, in the sense that it was like, how do we do more with less? <laughs> like, I don't want your shit. Mm-hmm. I don't make me, I'm not going to, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to help you sell your shit mm-hmm. because I don't think, I think your shit is irrelevant. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think that this product is 
something useful for the world and so therefore yeah everybody needs fucking boots the antithesis of acquisition Hmm, love that (laughs) me too but don't you think your storytelling and your the way you can verbalize an experience that holds worth as well oh absolutely um but and (laughs) but then we get then we get to the, the the hair splitting point of like Yes, communication and storytelling. Storytelling, this is how we all learn. It's how we, yeah. as human beings, uh, under, uh, figure out how to relate to the world and to other human beings. And so storytelling absolutely must be supported and rewarded. But, in the, um, but, but that's often not what's happening in, you know, in, within sport in terms of the financial support or the even social support that is being given to uh, the, the, the people who are maybe pushing the hardest, who is, are actually exploring human potential to the greatest degree, mm-hmm. are not necessarily the ones being supported. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think and, that gap has only grown I, I I agree, absolutely, it, and, and it will only grow further with the dependence on this visual media, mm-hmm. um, because it's like oh, I, I mean, a long time ago, um, and I still regard. To, uh, I'll say yeah, Thomas Bubendorfer, my old friend Thomas, yeah. um, who's, who's a really fucking good climber. But he also knew how to sell it really well. Yeah. I mean, and when I say he's a really good fucking good climber, his speed record on the north face of the Eiger sat for 20 fucking years. Nice. And, and then it got battered into submission by, you know. But because 20 years later, training, relationship with risk, that kind of thing, things, things changed. Yeah. But Thomas was brilliant in communicating about climbing and, and, and especially via visual means. He had this whole book, a, um, a coffee table, beautiful fucking book about free soloing. And he's just like, yeah, there's no root harder than 6B in this book. And, but they're all visually stunning, stunning. you know, and yeah. it's, because it's set up specifically to, you know, to commodify soloing mm-hmm. in a visually pleasing way. Mm. And in a conversation at some point he and I had, um, he's like, yeah, Wolfgang can climb five, you know, he climbed the first 515. He goes... I solo 510 and I'm rich. Uh-huh. And I'm like, ooh, snap. Yeah. And he does, he, he, he gives brilliant motivational speeches to business people. Yeah. He relates to the world. He tells stories about climbing and the climbing experience in, in a way that is, I think, is, you know, essential to the human experience. But five, you know. 15, 5, 14, 5, you know, any of this stuff. If you do those things, as we spoke earlier, I've mentioned earlier, you necessarily reduce the audience to whom you can speak because of the lack of under, you know, the lack of understanding. The language is completely different. So I think that the reliance on these, uh, on visual media especially now we're talking virtual reality virtual reality and it's not scratch and sniff mm-hmm. fuck off yeah like i th- 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 there are too many other senses at play and too much self-doubt at play that that just like if i 
in my virtuality, virtual reality recording, however I put the shit on and I see what's happening and, and, the, and me, the protagonist, says, wow, I don't know if I can do this or not. Dude, you're on your couch. What does that even mean? What does it even <laughs> fucking mean? That's so at, wild. At, at that point. Or, or, and thinking, you know, like, okay, what is, what is the smallest amount of clothing that I can wear to do the thing in order to sell the, the, the small oh, piece of clothing? Now you're talking, now we're talking social media, especially for climbing, probably I for got, fitness too. Oh, yeah. for yep. fitness. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Fitness, maybe running, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whatever the sports that are interpretable in some way, it's not who crossed the finish line first. Because it's, you know, we're, and, and then when, because now we're talking about selling an experience. We're not talking about selling a, a result, like a, perfor- a performance result. It's like, oh, but I went to the beautiful place and I was there with, It, it, it was early season, so I'm not as tan as I'd like to have been. But I used this product to give myself that beautiful oiled kind of tan look when I'm out there. Like when I've left a uh, Montana winter, which is six to eight months or used to be. <laughs> used to be. And yeah. <laughs> uh, we go down to the desert and I go running in my sports bra, my little shorts, and I call my stomach white gold. Because Bright I white. haven't seen the daylight. Put your sunglasses on, folks. So yep. Yes, the I'm ref- a ginger. The it's extra white. capacity of I don't even have like belly. freckles on my stomach. <laughs> but, I, but I think that's, you know, this is where we are, are headed in... In, you know, if we're just going to look at the shallow water, obviously the deep water still exists. Oh, the deep water still exists. And it, and it, it's the fucking howl that you hear when you're alone. You know, like somebody puts it out there and maybe they don't hear anything back for a really long time, but somebody else hears from the deep water and they say, you make me feel less alone because of what you're putting out in the world. And what is that worth? It's worth everything. And I'm amazed when people look at these shallow waters and they don't see how sad the people that are selling it are. I mean, they can't see the trash on the bottom of they, the fucking I mean, if lake, you're selling shallow waters, I guarantee there is a part of you that is very sad because you aren't connecting with other human beings in the way that you could. And that is a lonely experience. Or you think that your worth is outside of yourself of based on what you sell or whatever the company is paying you for. And that makes that, that is upsetting, at least for me. <laughs> yeah. And it just becomes more upsetting when you start reading the comments. Yeah. That, the wool can get pulled over people's eyes so easily. And so in the climbing context, yeah. the, right now, currently, you know, the, the trend is it doesn't matter how hard you climb, yeah. especially for females. You just climb in your sports bra, keep your hair down, uh, you know, kind of shake your butt a little and you, you can do really well for yourself yeah. just by doing those things. Yeah. And then I get depressed when I start reading those comments when people are like, oh, you must climb so hard. You're so beautiful. And it's just shallow water. Yeah. And 
Those, Unfortunately, those, that's... That's not an if P then Q statement right there. <laughs> well, you must climb so hard, you're so beautiful. <laughs> well, and there's also, there's a, there's a big difference Which, be, between um, <sighs> empowerment and celebrating women and celebrating the beauty of human form right. that can be. And it's intention of everything, right? Um, so are you are you honoring or are you cheapening? Are you selling or are you intentionally trying to affect something? So I think we've seen an increase in intentional yes. selling. Yeah. And maybe I put those phrases out of order. <laughs> um, when you look at the comments, the comments might be something like, you're so beautiful. You are getting sponsored and money from so many companies. You must climb really hard. So I think those things somehow get grouped together. But it, why? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and so the the point is the selling, mm-hmm. not the progression of human possibility mm-hmm. and I and I, I think the way ahead for human beings is in communicating is in it is in understanding that progression towards greater you know possibility rather than stopping along the way at the fucking lemonade stand mm-hmm. to get you know Oh, yeah. The the trees in the background, you know, of the photo that we're going to make don't work really well with the color of the sports bra that I bought. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so now I need to stop the lemonade stand and get the right color to do, you know, I, I'm communicating poorly here, but <laughs> but I, I I think we get and and we we are being herded in to particular behaviors and welcoming the, 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 the fence around the small little bit of human experience um, that, that we are being shepherded into. Yes. Yes. And, and, and we don't have to talk about it at our most eloquent all of the time because we're navigating this in time. And so beginning the conversation is important and we'll learn throughout it. Uh, But exactly what you're saying, we're being shepherded, we're being herded into a particular arena. Uh, It's, and and that isn't worth the cost. (laughs) Well, I think awareness helps us not be shepherded. Yes. What I worry about, I don't worry about myself. And of course, it's easy to get frustrated when you're seeing you know in my context you're viewing all of these females just get thrown money by companies and you're like I work twice as hard if not three times as hard do things five times more difficult but my cute little self over here like so cute you know I don't climb in a sports bra I don't Uh, do things for the sexuality of social media. Um, And so it's hard on the ego to see things uh, unfold the way they do where people can get this sponsorship money and run around and just 
seemingly live a fairly carefree life because they can just drive around in the sprinter van that mom and dad bought them and just climb. But I can recognize that. I have the insight to stop the spiral. Yeah. What I worry about are the females that are 20, 25 years younger than me and seeing oh, this is what I have to do to get noticed. Yeah. It doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter my ability. If I just look a certain way and act a certain way and have this really cute uh, you know, spread on Instagram, then I could get noticed as well. And right. so that's what scares me about the corralling. Yes. Yeah. It's not us. It's yeah. the people who are younger or... Or believe that social media is real life. Well, and all the people that are younger, this is the world that they were born into. This isn't the world that we were born into, you know? And so we have a different perspective because it wasn't the norm, you know? And, we, and, and I'm lucky. I mean, I didn't have a cell phone until I went to college. And it was the brick Nokia phone that I learned to play snake on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, when you're, when we're, eat, we're all obviously born into a world and we, we, that's our reality because that's what we are born into. Um, but we weren't born into a world where we carried computers and tracking devices in our pockets. That's the new world that people are being born into. It's changing constantly as well. But the ability to navigate that intersection of reality and and digital format we have experienced where that wasn't the case and i think that that's helpful Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm not as optimistic as you are mark i'm i don't know he hasn't heard that much i don't know how (laughs) how we can dig out of this conundrum Oh, I didn't say there was a way out. I'm, I am I am only a closet optimist. You know, but I will say this. There's this book, and it has its own whatever issues with it, uh, but it's called The Revolt of the Masses. Um, Jose something uh, wrote that, wrote this, and, and I forget. I'm just going to mess it up across the board. I sort of know the author's name. Uh, when was it written? I don't know. Let's say 1700s, 1800s. I don't know. A while ago. In the past. In the past. I got that. <laughs> and and so I feel like these these are universal feelings. I mean, he wrote about this, how the masses ruin everything. And this is a book that's 200 years old, right? Again, not sure. <laughs> Time, numbers. Um, but I feel like this is a universal that people have felt. So, so the thing is to keep howling, like to keep voicing those frustrations. So, so that thread of connectivity from the past to now to the future, the people that are feeling this know they aren't alone in it, that this has been an experience of being a human being for a long time. And, and maybe, maybe that sector always exists. Maybe there's always there's always people shucking shallow waters and profiting off of it. And there is also those few fucking black sheep out there that are swimming. I don't know. Sheep swim and they're in the deep waters (laughs) and, and and them using their voice or using their art or using their sport, uh, their passion, uh, and, and giving that to future generations is part of that thread that doesn't get lost. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I I absolutely think it's important. Yeah. And and whether there's a way like it's an interest I, I think this idea of like having uh 
been born in a period of you know relatively low technology you know compared to now yeah and having gone through that you know who's it harder for uh, you know in, yeah. in life the person born into you know like 15 years ago into this you know born with a smartphone in your hand yeah. you know or like, like maybe that's easier than like trying to navigate all these old weird analog things with the made with paper and stuff on top you know and 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 li- having lived numbers of decades without the constant onslaught of stimulus that we all experience today is like how do I grow into this and I think if someone even older than you know like Maury for example oh yeah I've seen of him as well you know he's a hundred yeah I mean almost almost year and a half way Whew. Man, he's seen some stuff and lived through some stuff. Uh-huh. And and I've I've said a few times, you know, on podcasts recently, or t- you know, talking especially with um, the climbers that I've t- spoken to recently, is that, that we've been bad stewards mm-hmm. of you know history, not only climbing history, where but but um, but but just the the, the storytelling in, in in general and the and the conservation aspect of it and if you just look back at how fucking amazing i mean it was so cool to sit with pat because he like participated in the era of of like guys in yosemite realizing that they were fucking up the resource and if they didn't change their behavior the resource would no longer exist it would be for it would be irreparably changed yep. thus the experiences available to generations after them would have been modified by them yeah boomer um <laughs> and uh, and and to 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 think that they they willfully and willingly limited their technology and you know in a way we can overpower the resource with the application of technology or we can try to um interface or integrate with it in in a in a non-destructive way think of how many people leave the you know the rock gym now because that's where they learned it came to it with no idea of Take only photograph leaves leaves leave only footprints. Yeah, like that was a thing. Yeah, to 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 think about you know interacting with the world, the resource being the environment. Yeah, um, in a way that leaves it as unchanged as possible for future generations, and and not just climate. And I'm like I am encouraged in a way by let's just say climate of awareness environmental awareness that i see developing in young people right now yeah same but it's that is also like trying to coexist with fuck you i got mine <sighs> like with the idea that the, oh, i struggle the, with the, it the, internally i want to travel the world yeah that costs the world yeah Exactly, yeah. and to and, and then to to look at the you know to to look at a beautiful expanse of rock in the real world, and to treat it the exact same way that you treat the expanse of plastic rock in you know in your past in this environment where you came from, like we don't I think in. I'll just say us old guys, you know, 
old older people you know we went into the like we went out into the outdoors with a sense of conservationism mm-hmm. in, in in a way of like not just throwing my trash down not cutting the switchbacks which i have done regardless of the true history of this of the land and who governs it i think that you know national park system the creation of wilderness areas these are fucking incredible things mm-hmm. and that you know even even now if that that foresight had not existed even now these places would have been destroyed oh completely right now mm-hmm. and that's not looking ahead you know to generation after generation after generation for whom these sort of wilderness experiences could be could remain available based on you know hey what we what was done then but also what we do now oh yeah i agree with that and also i mean exactly what you said and the conversation has to change as technology changes right so like yes. the old motto take only photographs leave only f- only footprints doesn't apply now because our photographs have impact on places mm-hmm. our photographs have tremendous impact on places mm-hmm. Well played, Blair Speed. Oh, nice. completely. Yeah. And so we have to be vigilant and aware of how our presence impacts space. And yeah, take the photograph. Love it. Appreciate it. Hold that memory. Photographs mean so much to me in so many different ways. One, for reliving experiences of my life. Also, our brains are finicky. My heart always remembers, but my brain doesn't remember every nuance of Travis at every moment. Sometimes I'll flash in the kitchen and I'll just see his neck or where he shaved the back of his neck. And I can see that so definitively and so clearly. But the power of a photograph is I can zoom in and I can see these things that my mind can't always remember, even though my heart does. Our photographs have a tremendous impact. And if we photograph a place we are impacting that place, especially if we are... If we broadcast that photograph. If we broadcast that photograph <clears throat> and we share where that location is. We've drifted a little bit. We did. That's okay. I like it. Yeah, exactly. No, I was just thinking about uh, how gyms and the experience of learning how to climb has impacted those far-reaching places as well. Yeah, what do um, you mean? A couple summers ago, we were back, Matt and I. Yeah boyfriend hey boyfriend we're back uh at mount hooker in the wind mm-hmm. i was like in new zealand uh mm-hmm. no there is one there the wind rivers okay yeah wouldn't you know there were over a dozen other people 14 miles back climbing big walls it was incredible of course we knew a lot of them <laughs> yeah. but it was a small community back there mm-hmm. um and i'm torn i'm torn as to what to think yeah. Uh, because, you know, we're talking about a very small subset of the recreating population. However, uh, you couldn't help but think about the impact. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've jokingly, after we went up to Highlight on a weekend. Yeah. This is like winter <laughs> 2020. Yeah. Or 21. Yeah. And I hadn't been up there climbing for some time. It had changed. There were 
and we came back, you know, we went up there. Finally, we did manage to find the last parking spot. I told, I and, told Mark, I was like, I was like, yo, dude, you got to get up early. Because if we're not up there by 8 a.m., there won't be a parking spot. Correct. Yep. And Mark's like, nah. And then... I was like, and we're driving the big bitch. So we need that parking spot. We need that parking spot. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We need a big parking spot. We might need two. This truck is so fucking big. But we're walking out, you know, after go- having gone ice climbing with 498 of our closest friends. And I was like, who fucking made this so popular? Who got... Who... Who designed all this gear to make this easier and more accessible for these people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who did that? Who fucking who did, did that? that? Mark? Who, who wrote a book about like? <laughs> who wrote a book about making it easier for folks? <laughs> Oops. I mean, we. You know, I will sprinkle the ashes upon my head for you know my involvement in popularizing this thing, which is ultimately quite destructive to the environment that I love so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just do that forever, but Chill. also think about like, okay, how can we, you know, present this in a, in a way which is not, um, you know, which is not fuck you. I got mine or I had mine and now nobody can go there ever again. Right. Um, and make it accessible. I mean, there was a guy, the guy, you know, people are familiar with a brand called mountain safety research, MSR. And it, it, it started, uh, a long time ago, and one of the, the one of the protagonists there. I mean, it was developed around a particular stove back then. But Larry Penberthy, it, he thought that the trails in the national parks should be paved, so that public land could become accessible to all of the public, regardless of their physical ability. And I was. Absolutely anti. I was like, no, no, fuck. I think we should put a moat around it, you know, or whatever. But like, okay, here's a person's perspective of, and I know that um, I recall a social media interaction blur that you had where, you know, somebody accused you of being an ableist, you know, someone who could get to a place and therefore um, wanted to keep it for their, I don't think that's what you were saying, but, you know, this person has a particular political and philosophical agenda and that's the bias you know that uh through which he sees um and we all have that all have that sort of a a bias but you know how do we uh fucking navigate this with more people i mean even even again this year 2022 um recreational vehicle sales are setting records again yeah. Like it's even gone up. It's like we were, you know, because people have understood that, you know, the outdoors, it's, you know, it, that it's, it's not bad. And the outdoors it's pretty can cool. And, sa- can... like, and, and not to, not to use the same cliche, but the outdoors save us in so many ways. And there's so many of us and we probably all need saving somehow. But how do we not eat what saves us? And I think the comfortizing yeah. of the outdoors has... Yeah. And not just in equipment, but in recreational vehicles. You can like, point that finger at me. I'm fully okay. Well, I sell the stuff day in and day out. Like, you want the warmest jacket? You come to me. Yeah. And you'll be comfortable too in the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Can uh, I get heated socks there? You can actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good to know. So yeah, I mean, I'm super torn because we all know the transformative nature of how the outdoors can be. I think the big question is, 
will they be yes for many individuals and will those individuals not take this new job description that they have as like outdoor keeper will they take it seriously yeah. you know or will they just go tear it up in yeah. the deserts of utah and ride around on their side by side yeah and, and wherever they want to go they'll just go or are they gonna be smart about it and follow restrictions and watch out for and understand why those you know hey why the restrictions are in place right. and like i'm all yeah for breaking it but not necessarily not in the you know willy-nilly like i i feel like we had a uh, an, a, a public private land encounter the other day oh yeah and like i you know it um, was wonderful it was absolutely wonderful yeah um i feel really strongly about not trespassing yeah same and if I if I do it, especially by accident, which was this case, you know, or, you know, who knows? Yeah, who I didn't knows? read from the center line where you can park on the, on county, the county road, road. which abuts private property, you know. But, I, but a, a local but, rancher came up and talked to us and he came in hot, legit, because he yeah. probably has to deal with shit all the time and shitty people. And then, I mean, not to brag, but then, you know, we are open to conversation and not closed off and not like, no, this is ours immediately. It was a really beautiful conversation. And at the end, we were like, yeah, we won't park here again. Thanks for helping us know where is a better place to park. Uh, Yeah, we get it. And and that's something I think, you know, when you talk about riding your side by side around, you know, willy nilly, you know, it was like, oh, the, you know, there are tracks here. Therefore, it must be OK. You know, people have gone here before. So it's OK for me. Yep. And then getting confronted about it and not wanting to be wrong. And so then getting, you know, that E-N-T-I-T-L-E-D <laughs> thing out of your pocket and yep. playing that card of like, you know, and this, you know, uh, and, and this is the education part that I think needs to. That, that we need to embark on yeah. like okay new outdoor users yep you know new new to this you can't just yeah throw your shit away yeah. you can't just you know these tracks this my favorite thing which it, you know you can't walk on the crypto biotic soil <laughs> um it's fucking important. This shit, like, it takes, you know, hundreds, hundreds of times, th- you know, a yeah. really long time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, don't wreck it. Don't step on that. Or, you know, I, the first time, you know, when I was in, had ever been in the, you know, Red Rock Desert and saw the fucking rubber skid marks, not only, you know, you'd say it's motorized vehicles, but it's fucking mountain bikers. Also, oh yeah, mm-hmm. and the first time I saw that, or I go down Potash and I see all the fucking chalk, you know, on the wall or mm-hmm. someplace like that, and I'm just like, oh, we are so bad at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we- we're so bad at so many things and so good at so many other things. Us humans <laughs> existing. <laughs> yeah, I think the only way out is that education piece, and it's not necessarily even by any sort of organized entity no it's not, not by the forest service it's not by park service yeah. they have too much to deal with and not enough people yeah, working they, but they have to make trash cans that are 
a, too smart for bears, bears but but stupid not stupid enough yes, for humans. Exactly, they have enough shit to deal. <laughs> it's a fine line right there it's a real between fine the smart line. bears and the dumb humans. Exactly, they got to sit right in that line. Exactly. Oh. My God! You didn't hear about that? It's in Yosemite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can I open this trash can with my phone? Yeah, I'm... that's the next step. Because oh, this God. Bluetooth compatible trash yeah, can. Exactly, because a bear don't have a phone, but Yet. he will. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. Let's start putting like collars on bears with fucking Bluetooth accessibility. Then it's like re- solar rechargeable because save oh, the planet. God. And then they can just walk around and open up or like Bluetooth compatible would, garbage cans. When people would go to Yellowstone. <laughs> or start people's cars. And they'd ask when they would let the bears out. Yeah. Mm, love that. <laughs> At uh, only 530. W- yeah. Only it's, when you don't want it. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. when they come out. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think the education piece obviously falls to us. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. And, yeah. But you are showing that you can have intelligent, calm conversations, but sometimes they don't go that well. You know, this was really great, honestly. Oh, I mean, no. we just wanted he to... recounted, you know, some, that, oh, yeah, like, he especially he said, assholes. oh, yeah, hunters are the worst because they, co- they come in and they're like, but I bought a tag. And he's like, but this is private land. Yeah. <laughs> and we were just, we wanted to, we, were, we wanted some dirt roads to gravel ride. And so we just like, we're out exploring. And we found a great gravel road and, and... County road. County road. Yep. We found a great county road and made sure we checked on that. Um, yeah. And then he and he came in hot because he deals with assholes, which is legit. And mm-hmm. we were just like, hey, yeah, we just wanted to ride. This is messed up. All right. We won't come here again. And we chatted for a while and it was wonderful. I mean, I did drop a Metcalf name for ranching. You know, <laughs> you just got to throw that in legit. there. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're I connected. Get it. You deal with a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. I know the Metcalf. <laughs> I was like, I was though. I was like, yeah, Mark, you need to get new uh, plates on that car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Get the centennial plates so then they don't know your county number. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that vehicle is going to be old enough soon to have also permanent plates. Perfect. Yeah. Good move. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, education is important. It's incredibly important. Mm-hmm. And hopefully a lifelong process. <laughs> For all of us. <laughs> and you're right. The messenger matters. Like who you hear it from. Because if, oh, yeah. if it's, you know, regulatory. Like who, after, I mean, I'll just say, how much trust do you have in any form of government mm. after the last two years? Mm-mm. Like they're saying about, you know, like now I really like U.S. intelligence services say X about Ukraine. I'm like. Pfft. What's an oxymoron? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> And it's just like, it's so habitual right now to just go, yeah, they're full of shit. Fuck it. They don't know what they're talking about either because they obviously didn't for, you know, X amount of time and, or they did. And that's know. because politics isn't about creating any longer. It's about the audience again. It's about how they are seen. Uh, yeah. Mm. So well, how do you trust that? If you can't trust. And so therefore, if they're the ones educating us about, you know, like, uh, environmental sustainability. You know, you're thinking like, no, no, I, I want to drive my side by side. I'm like, yeah, it's going to have to be electric, <laughs> which means you're going to get stranded at some point, mm-hmm. which is cool. <laughs> More sarcals. More sarcals. <laughs> Educate, be kind. There. Know what you're doing. Yeah. Do some research. 
Not on Instagram. And if you don't know, ask. Maybe read a book. Or that. Look at a map. I love The maps. paper kind. Yeah. <laughs> Honey that? bunny, be cool. Honey bunny, be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done. I do too. Mm-hmm. I think we've, you know, we're... We're only going to circle the drain from here this time. Oh, 100%. That was from Pulp Fiction. What was? Honey, Honey Bunny, Bunny Be, be cool. cool? Yeah. Oh my God, just I just watched Pulp Fiction. Yes. References. <laughs> After I wrote that in the workout description. Yeah, I thought that was just I... you. <laughs> I didn't know it was a pop reference. I never do. This is why I say I never know what Scott Backies is talking about. I just think he has like witty things to say. Yeah. I don't realize they're quotes from things. It's okay. I'm on a mission to watch all the movies that I should have watched 20 years ago. I'm starting that. Yeah. We started that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's why we're watching Apocalypse Now. That net, whatever, however right now. Words. Yeah. Apocalypse <laughs> over three days. Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Delayed Apocalypse. Sloth Apocalypse. But you got to see the original Blade Runner. Yeah. <gasps> I'd never seen that. I saw that, that one too. Yes. You got me to watch Contact. Oh, yeah. Mark watched Contact. Which I'd never seen. Yeah. Which was was probably one of those ones I should have watched back then. I want him to, I want us to watch Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Did you watch that as a kid? Mm -mm. It's a, it's a small film that not a lot of people have heard about. It's just a pop culture reference that I have. (laughs) (laughs) We watched Thunderheart. Oh, Thunderheart was so good. Yeah. What about Inception? I have seen that, I think. Mm. That's the one. Maybe it was a dream. Yes. Mm. Yep. Yep. I've seen that and I've seen The Matrix. Booyah. Whoa. I know. Mm-hmm. Next on my list might be Godfather, but I don't know if I can handle that. Oh, yeah. I've never seen that either. There are multiple parts to it. Right. It many hours. For a while. <laughs> many, many hours. But I have seen this movie. There was a firefight. Boondock Saints. I, I mean, I got it. Yeah. Because... Should I know that movie? I don't know. No. People you talk sh- about movies like, oh, haven't you seen this? I'm like, I don't know. What? Yeah. yeah there's so many to watch. There's a bajillion. Only a handful yeah, you of should, good ones. The Boondock Saints, the fun romp. Okay. Yeah. 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 Talk, talk about a one-hit wonder. Hmm. Like the, uh, God, what's his name? Duffy? Writer, director. And it just could never like quite pull it off again yeah but you bet that happens You're oh yeah like, of course this is, this thank is, you for making one this, great this thing is wh- in this world. I, you made something yeah, you exactly. made an amazing thing yeah and um yeah you you don't have to do more yeah you made a thing that affected a bunch of people yeah and that's thank you i'll try to do that too man becky thank you yeah you're welcome for spending Many hours, several eight, hours of your hours. day off. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yay. No other way I'd want to spend my time. Yay. Yeah. So the next one, we get Matt. Yes. And bourbon. Yes. Let's do it. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And we can talk about climbing history and shit or something. Yeah. That would be great. That would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. And he's up to some pretty cool stuff too. He is. Yep. Yep, and he'd he'd have interesting perspectives on, if you wanted to go there, things about being a minority in the community. Yeah. Uh, I know it's kind of always a hot topic, interesting to talk about. Yeah. 
that a lot of people dance around, but we don't do a lot of dancing here, so I like that. No. Full sun, direct I'm, in. Th- yes. I would like to have that particular conversation just, um, yeah, for my, oh, because there are certain things being said about the climbing community that I never thought were true. Right. I never did either. Yeah. But our opinions don't matter. I I know. I know. So there's that. So I want to have, you know, I want to have my opinion changed. Or I just want to listen to someone's particular perspective. Human human experience. That's living. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. Cool. Until next time. Great. Thanks, Becky. Welcome.